0: does have it all all of our pre-owned vehicles are hubler q certified which include a 128 point vehicle inspection a free carfax vehicle history report and two warranties a two-year 100,000 mile powertrain
1: warranty and a 30-day 1,000 mile comprehensive warranty visit any of our 13
0: locations today or click it
2: all.
0: absolutely loaded on a thursday i don't mean that we are i mean like we haven't been you know Drink a champagne velvet, I guess you'd say, since I was in Terre Haute last night for the Indiana State Sycamore fighting Trees. But we're loaded on a Thursday because there is a ton to talk about. A ton to talk about. Some good, some bad. But between the Pacers, the Colts, IU, Indiana State, a lot to talk about here on a Thursday. Good afternoon to you. My name is Jake Query. Jimmy Cook here as well. Eddie Garrison is... Flying the controls for us. It is Quarry & Company here on ninety three five one zero seven five. 107.5, The Fan. I will, Jimmy Cook, you have been to Las Vegas, you said, correct? I have. Okay, so you think about when you go to the buffet in Vegas, they've got a little of everything, right? Yep. They have a smorgasbord. There's a million things that you can enjoy. So today, I'm going to give you the dealer's choice. I don't know if you'd be dealer. I guess you, I'd be dealer. You'd be the guy. playing. But, but either way... I will let you choose which subject matter we begin with today. Indiana last night getting blown out in Nebraska. And I've been pretty nice when it comes to IU basketball. And on this show in general, I've tried not to be too vociferous or blowhard or whatever else. But that, but I'm getting irritated with that. Uh, Colts and Texans coming up on Saturday evening. As a matter of fact, Juju Brent's going to join the program halfway through the show today. So we'll have that conversation at 145, Matt Taylor at 230, so plenty of Colts to talk about. And Pacers last night, Milwaukee Bucks, Jimmy Cook, your your choice is which?
3: Got to start with the Pacers. Okay. Have to.
0: Okay. When I was in college, there was a great movie called Singles. Singles was like when the whole Seattle explosion was happening and everybody was moving to Seattle and everybody's wearing flannels and... Baggy jeans and hiking boots everywhere. And, you know, guys my age are a little bitter about it because when we were in college, all the, the you know all the girls were into the grunge era. And then like 10 years later, the Britney Spears era came and Girls Gone Wild era and everybody read benefits. And we had a bunch of girls walking around in flannels and ripped up jeans, which is what we were wearing too. It was cool. But Singles was the movie that was kind of the epicenter behind all of that. And in the movie Singles, there is a scene that... One of the guys is talking about, I'll just say, a moment of intimacy, and it, it actually shows it. And during that moment, he is actually thinking about Seattle supersonic power forward Olden Polonese, giving him some coaching tips, if you will. So in that moment, basketball's on his mind. Turns out the Pacers have done exactly that to the Greek, definitely, shall we say, freak, Giannis. Giannis Adetokounmpo uh, uh, last night after the Pacers won 142-130, they have now won four or five over the Bucks over the course of the year, and Giannis afterwards admitted to the fact, admitted to the fact, like when the Pacers stole the ball from Giannis, allegedly, up in Milwaukee. After Giannis had 60-whatever-it-was against the Pacers, franchise record, right? Most points ever scored by the Pacers in an NBA game, most points in five-serve arena, whatever it might be, and Giannis wants the game ball, and the Pacers have it, and he goes running back into the tunnel This a couple weeks ago. Everybody knows about it. Skirmish happens. Lot's kind of made of it. And I'm sure Bucks fans, I'm sure people in Milwaukee, a city I love, but I'm sure people in Milwaukee are like, see, the Pacers are living – or, or, you know, I'm sorry, Giannis is living rent-free in the Pacers' heads. Giannis is in their head. Guess what? Turns out it's the other way around. It turns out that Giannis, who is one of the great players in the league, who's an NBA champion, who drove around going to Chick-fil-A's with the Larry O'Brien trophy in his car – Thinking about all of the the, the fame and fortune that comes with being an NBA champion in Milwaukee. Turns out now that when Giannis goes to Chick-fil-A, he's actually thinking about the Indiana Pacers. The Pacers are in the head of Giannis. And he admitted it last night after, for the fourth time in five games, he was beaten by the blue and gold.
2: You you have that, uh, and you think about it. Now when you go back home, and you sleep, and you wake up, you think about it. Now when you go back and uh, work out, you think about it. You know, when you're about to get freaky at night, you
0: think about it. You know, um, but at the end of the day, it's good because now it gives us time to fix things. How about that, man? The mood lighting's on.
3: Barry Green's playing in the background. Yeah, I'll have a number one with a lemonade. What's Tyrese Halliburton doing right now? Giannis
0: is thinking about Tyrese Halliburton. (laughs) Heck of a game last night for the Pacers, and, and with that, Jimmy, obviously Tyrese Halliburton I think we now know, I mean, clearly when Halliburton gets in that mode and when he goes through these stretches where, you know, 60 plus straight points over the course of three games and no turnovers or whatever, I mean, when he gets in that mode, they are awfully tough to beat clearly. And from a matchup standpoint, what they do is something that Milwaukee has trouble countering with and Halliburton goes for 31, Obi Toppin plays well, Halliburton has 12 assists and now it, it just you got to turn around though, and it's it's not easy because you've got games. I mean Friday, Saturday, Monday, Wednesday, plenty of chances for people to come out and see the Pacers play. Atlanta tomorrow night, but then Boston back to back, and then Washington, who's a little bit tricky and could be one of those trap games. So a tough stretch for him coming up here, but a big one last night.
3: I mentioned this last night on Twitter. Very rarely. Can you point to just a regular season series and guarantee that's what's going to happen in the playoffs? And, and I don't think you can, can necessarily do that I Barry
0: Green? I meant Barry White. I was thinking of racing. Sorry. You did, Go but that's all right.
3: Uh, you can't necessarily guarantee that because a season series went one way, that's what's going to happen in the playoffs. But your overall point of they're in their head matters. They've figured out a way to consistently okay. on a mini-series matchup and then spread it over the course of this season to this point to beat them in four out of five tries and beat them in a wide variety of different ways. Yes, it starts with Tyrese Halliburton and his ability to not only score the basketball and get separation when he wants it in isolation situations, when he's asking campaign for a dance and hitting four-point plays, whether he's distributing the basketball, but it's also getting key looks from their bench, not needing necessarily that 60-point performance they had a couple nights ago, but getting balanced scoring across the board. You've seen another matchup where even though it's not like the most high efficient scoring night in terms of what he does on both ends of the floor, a mini burst from Benedict Matherin and just defensive situations being sharper, not necessarily like holding teams to under hundred every night or under 110 every night, but making enough plays to allow your offense to do what they want to do, whether it's in transition or in the half court. And that changed the starting lineup a couple of nights ago even though Bruce Brown is back into the fold from injury and he doesn't really miss a beat. Like they're playing in such a way where yes, I need to see it against Boston too. And you're going to get a chance that same simulation playing them in two consecutive matchups here in a couple of days. But the fact they're in Milwaukee's head at this point, the fact that yes, you need playoff wins for a rivalry to be budding. These teams clearly don't like each other and they definitely don't like losing to one another in a way that it's not an even fight for Milwaukee at this stage. The Pacers have their numbers. Is that going to continue if they meet in the playoffs? Who knows? But where it stands right now, you have your franchise piece still just skipping around, having a great time. Everybody's buzzing, and the Pacers are once again in a confidence mode where we stressed how important the start of 2024 is for them, and they're well on their way to building a solid foundation that can carry over throughout the... January, February, and then going into the All
0: Star break. I'm worried that my sinuses are well on their way towards building a serious foundation of a head cold here for the rest of January for me. I don't I'm, want I'm, you to have that. I'm wacky on the Sudafed again, okay? Because number one, I don't know how I said Barry Green and not Barry White, but also that I say Olden Pollen, he said, uh, thank you, Rich. It's Xavier McDaniel is the guy in singles. You guys don't remember that, but it's the X Man Xavier McDaniel. I
3: don't want to call you on that. The
0: There's, great line. Yeah. What's that? I didn't want to call you on that. I figured, you know. Oldham Polonese was the starting center for Virginia along with Rick Carlisle's team that defeated Indiana 50-48 in 1984 in the Southeast Regional Final after Indiana had defeated North Carolina 72-68 in the semifinal in the famous Jordan game. So I you know, I have to redeem myself with a little bit of memory recall there, but that's that vapor lock of that like six-month window of things in my life I actually remember. But a uh, big one last night. We'll talk about that over the course of today. And then as I mentioned, Juju Brents as well. Indiana last night in Nebraska, Jimmy. You did or did not watch the Indiana game?
3: I, I did, but I'll be honest. As that thing pulled away, it, it became it was still on the screen, but I was less less interested in the performance that Indiana put on display last night. It was back and forth early, and then turnovers became a bugaboo for the Hoosiers. Xavier Johnson, who for weeks we've been imploring to see him back on the floor, he had what you'd expect from somebody that hasn't played a basketball game since November. No points, struggled a ton, was one of the many Hoosiers that turned the basketball over in that game. It was sloppy. It looked like a team that was underprepared for a road environment in the Big Ten, which is just a disappointing start to the campaign. And maybe there's a deeper conversation here with it, but you could tell post game that Mike Woodson felt like that his guys were not ready for the task, which is just disappointing to start Big Ten to end non-conference and resume Big Ten play in that fashion. What'd you? I mean, what do you think? You clearly, as you mentioned at the top, are getting somewhat annoyed with Indiana basketball this year. Well, I want to put words in your mouth, but that's where it feels like we're headed.
0: I don't know Mike Woodson. So I don't dislike Mike Woodson. I know nothing about Mike Woodson from a personal standpoint. People I know that know him personally like him. I think some think he's kind of cocky, which is not, I mean, it kind of comes to... He has reason to be, and I don't think it's detrimental per se. Do I think he knows basketball? I do. Do I think he knows college basketball? I think he's still learning that, but I think that we're getting a little bit late here on when we expect that to come together. And allow me to explain. We live in a world today where we want immediate results on things. We live in a world where when we want to get a hold of somebody, we send them a text and we expect an immediate text back. We know that everybody has immediate means of being able to get a hold of them because the phone is right there in their pocket. We live in a world where if you need to get an important file from a work standpoint, you don't fax it and wait for the fax machine to go off. You just literally send it with a push of a button and the person gets it instantly. We live in a world where when you want to have a meeting with other people, you go on Zoom and you push two buttons and they're right there in front of you, even if they're a thousand miles away. That's the nature of the world we live in. And when it comes to college athletics and it comes to teams and building programs, there still is an expectation of giving things time and giving seeds time to grow. But we live in a world where people want results faster than that. For Indiana, when you already have given someone a pay raise and you give big contracts right away with expectation, you now have erased that grace period that comes with trying to avoid the inevitability of immediate satisfaction desire by a fan base. And that's where we are right now with Indiana. It is unfair to say that one game defines a season, except for that the same things that have plagued Indiana so far in their losses this year forecast that it's going to be a year where they're going to take a lot of lumps in the Big Ten, probably go 500 in the conference, and get like a 6-9 to seed in the NCAA tournament, which is not good enough for Indiana. And the expectation of the fan base of Indiana, notably the fan base with deep pockets, because the, the fan base with deep pockets were around and were reared and were enjoying Indiana basketball when it was an elite program. In the last 25 years, not heading into this season, but the last 25 seasons of Indiana basketball, Indiana's won 501 games. They've lost 349 of them. They've won 59% of their games. If you're a student at Indiana, 59% flunks you out. But in college basketball, 59% seemingly to people is passable because they default in their minds to the fact that it is still linked to a time when Indiana would win 78% of their games. And Indiana would go deep into the NCAA tournament. And Indiana would be better in March. None of that is applicable now. It's over. It's over. And people that think that, like, just because they're Indiana, that's an elite program. A kid right now that's 16 years old that's a top-flight player in, you know, name city, Dallas, Texas. Indiana to him is Minnesota. Yeah, but Mike Woodson coached in the NBA and coached Carmelo Anthony. Okay, Carmelo Anthony was in his prime when that kid was in kindergarten. I think that Indiana has pieces, and I think that Indiana has some blocks that they can use, but it befuddles me. It completely astounds me. It completely astonishes me. It completely confuses me how in a world with—and I watched Indiana State last night. Indiana State. Three years ago, that program was a dumpster fire. And they went and got a head coach that no one had heard of. No one. And I watched him last night, and you know what? Even though they obviously have the center, Robbie Avila, uh, uh, excuse me, Avila, who is kind of their centerpiece, he's kind of been kept in check a little bit. And the reason Indiana State's winning games is because they have guards that can shoot the basketball. They sprayed it around last night, and they're shooting threes, and they're hitting threes. And they played Evansville, who by all accounts seems to be within their league a decent team. and Indiana State went on a run in the second half and took a seven-point game into a 20-point game in the flash of an eye because they had good guard play. And they had multiple good guard play. Meanwhile, Indiana, which is supposedly an upper-crust program with a coach who is a conduit towards NBA chatter, can't go out in the transfer portal and get a guard? Xavier Johnson comes back. Yeah, I know he had he, he missed a lot of time, right? 14 minutes, did nothing. He had He had the same stat line as the two of you. Indiana turns the ball over 19 times, turns to 27 points. I was Their more guard productive play was terrible.
4: What's that? I was more
0: productive than him last night. Correct. Yeah, you are at least running a board, right? Yeah. You are running something. Yeah. Their guard play, non-existent. Gabe Cupp's probably going to be a good player in time, no doubt about it. But to put him in a situation as a freshman where he's got to play, C.J. Gunn, supposed to be a good shooter. When does that – when does that – when do we start seeing that? Still haven't seen him hit a jump The shot. fact that they did not go out and address what everybody knew, everybody knew was an issue is astounding to me because it's big-time Division One college athletics. And, yes, you get a grace period in an amount of time, except for that when you get a huge financial raise and an even further commitment from the athletic department, then it's expected that, in fact, you live in an immediate results now era. And Indiana fans that are sitting around pining for the fact that, you know, this is Indiana and we're Indiana and it's different and whatever else. You went to Nebraska and got blown off the floor. Nebraska's a good team, don't get me wrong. But you know what they had last night Nebraska? Guard play. They had good guards. You know what wins in March? Guard play. Good guards. You know what beat Purdue last year as the number one seed and a team that coasted throughout the course of the year centered around one of college basketball's most dominant players? The thing that did in Purdue late in the year was guard play. You know what Purdue went out and addressed via the transfer portal this year and via recruiting, guard play. And Indiana's like, hey, but you know what? Here's the good news. We got a transfer, a top 10 recruit transfer from Oregon who's a big man, and Malik Renu is a a good player. And we went out and recruited McKenzie Mbako, who, believe me, in practice he looks like Jay Edwards. Okay, great. And and the game, half the time, he looks like Edward Scissorhands. That's cool. But the clock is, if you're an Indiana fan now, you've got to be saying to yourself, what what am I doing? And yes, it's one game. I get it. But it's one game that last night was a microcosm of everything that has been bothering them for the last two to three years. And Mike Woodson afterwards, same thing. Well, I got to coach him up. I got to get these guys to play harder. Yeah, you do. That's why you're paid millions of dollars. You do. Nice guy, and I want it to work. I like him, and I I I appreciate and respect his contribution to Indiana basketball, both as a player and in coming back. But what's happening right now, it's like the line in the hangover. This ain't working for me. And when you go to Nebraska, and, and I'm not trying to sell short Nebraska, but when you go to Nebraska, going to Nebraska and getting your ass kicked by 20 being down by 20 at Nebraska, that's what it feels like when Earl Bruce said Indiana beating Ohio State in football was the darkest day in Ohio State history. Because there are certain programs you're just supposed to not go on the road and get blown off the floor. And especially how Nebraska can figure out how to go internationally and get good guards and Indiana can't find one in a college basketball transfer portal is totally exhausting. 501 and 349 over 25 years, it's reality. You are what you are. And it's time to say we loved the era that we grew up in and we have a great respect, respect and passion and appreciation for the joy that it gave us 25 years ago, but it's time for everybody to pull up the big boy pants and look at who you are now and not who you used to be or who you think you want to be and figure out what to do about it right now, which is go out and get guards. They don't have any. It's frustrating. It's frustrating for him. And Khalil Ware's a good player. Malik is a good player. And Baco at times can be a good player. But it just feels like, Jimmy, and you tell me if I'm wrong, but it feels like after the games, Mike Woodson has a level of bewilderment and an incredulous nature about him that at what point are people going to get tired of it?
3: The idea of his incredulous nature is justified last night in my mind, solely based on how careless they were with the basketball. Like Again, I'm not saying that Nebraska is some juggernaut, but you tip the cap in some way to them there. They are a solid team this season. And any time in the Big Ten, I don't care if you are Indiana. I don't care if you are Michigan. I don't care if it's Purdue. If you turn the ball over 19 times... And the end result is 27 points off turnovers in a game you lost by 16 where you could never get anything consistently going offensively. In part, Jake, because you're right, they did not address their guard situation in the transfer portal. They, I don't know if gamble's the right word, but the expectation was... C.J. Gunn would take a leap forward this year. Trey Galloway would take another leap forward this year. And Xavier Johnson, even though he is sometimes helter skelter, would have some level of steadiness to make it all work. And so I'm with you. There's heavy level frustration from me, but I also would like to acknowledge the fact that they are banking on Xavier Johnson helping out that room. And... The performance that he had, the fact that he didn't score is you know a bit jarring. Uh, but the fact that he struggled as much as he did
0: last night, having not played in a month, Jimmy, doesn't surprise me. Y- you, are, you are relying upon, I'm not saying you, I'm saying what the you're talking staff, about. Correct. I think Xavier Johnson is obviously a good player, don't get me wrong. Sure. Right. But if you're relying on senior leadership from a guy that's in his like seventh year yeah. and so far the most notable thing he's done in the last 18 months was drive 90 miles an hour up Walnut that you really did nothing about, Then you got a problem, right? You got a problem at that point. And if you're relying on him to be there every game when he has a history of, of, you know, injury, you got a problem. And I got news for you: you get hurt more often when you're older. And he's like damn near fifty. Yeah. Right. I I mean, the problem is Galloway is is a nice player, but but at times, but at this point in his career, if he isn't consistent by now, he ain't going to be consistent, right? When I was when I was a junior in Bloomington, and I was a two-five student, and my dad's like, "When are you going to wake up and become a good student?" I'm like, "Dad, I'm going to turn this. You wait. Next semester, I'm flipping <laughs> the switch." And my dad said, "At some point, you are what you are. Yeah. Your habits are what you are." And Indiana's habits right now is that they are a an, an average to slightly above average basketball team who, on occasional nights, look pretty good. But for the most part, kind of sleepwalk their way through, don't play with much energy, make zero adjustments, and don't have good guards. And for Indiana fans to sit around and think that just because the jersey says Indiana, that when they put it on, it's going to wake up the ghosts of 1987, get over it. Go watch Purdue. Purdue's the number one team in the country. Purdue's the number one team in the country. They've got an Indi- their their point guard is an Indiana guy. Their their best outside shooter is an Indiana guy. Their their best guy off the bench is an Indiana guy. Their most selfless player who plays whatever role they ask of them is an Indiana Mister Basketball. Their one of their better players off the bench on the front line is a Southern Indiana guy. They've got an international player that blossomed by being well coached and well tutored, you know, tutored throughout. Go watch Purdue. Enjoy Purdue. If you're trying to awaken the ghost of 1987, go watch the Boilermakers. There you go. And that actually makes it even worse for Indiana, quite frankly. Because what – they don't want to talk about it at cocktail parties, but Indiana fans right now are, are, are absolutely – they have to be mortified over the fact that not only are they getting beaten by Nebraska – but they're doing it while the best team in college basketball and the one that's been the most consistently great for the last 3 years is their arch bitter rival.
3: That doesn't help. No, it most definitely doesn't. And I look, the guard thing, that's it's over, right? Like that'll be a talking point for the rest of the season, but they made their bed. They made their bed when they didn't dress in the transfer portal. Now you have to go with what you have. And the season itself is not lost. But you're right. The idea of them turning it around and being like a three or four seed this year, I don't see it right now. I can still see them. And this is not the expectation. In Indiana never has been. It shouldn't be. But the idea of them still making the tournament, that's not off the table. The idea of, no, I don't know, the like but the idea of them being a better version of what they were last night on the road is not off the table. They rely so heavily, though, on taking care of the basketball and playing disciplined defense. And they did neither of those things. Correct. Last night. Correct. And when you don't have good guard play, but you rely so heavily on those two aspects, if one of those two falls, whether you don't take care of the basketball, or you take a couple plays off, or you break down defensively, you're going to lose by 15.
0: That's just the reality of what they are this year. Indiana's down like seven. Nebraska pushes it into double digits. And Indiana cowered. To the environment in Lincoln, Nebraska. They did.
3: You would have thought it was Mackie or Correct. what you would expect Correct. the team coming to Assembly Hall to be.
0: Right? And, and you know what? L- let me tell you something right now. And I like Fred Hoiberg, and, and listen, they've got uh, Nebraska played well, and I think Nebraska's got a good team, tournament team, right? How many people were at that game last night in Lincoln? W- what's our guess? 16,000? The whole, I mean, I would assume everybody. Well, yeah, right? what's it know, what, what else are you doing on a I'm going to guess it holds 16,200 people, whatever their gym holds, right? Okay, yeah. You know what? And I there was an exit poll that was done last night. They asked. They asked all 16,200 people what they thought of that game last night as Nebraska sees an international guard with his whole family there, drop 29 in Indiana, which was cool. It was a good story. Hitting shots from everywhere, hitting one, like falling down, straightaway threes schooling indiana right yep they asked 16,200 people when they left what do you think five bannered indiana national champion indiana nba coach mike woodson five-star khalil Ware, five-star malik renew five-star McKenzie and the damon bailey of ohio gabe cups and you guys blew him off the floor what do you think you know what? Sixteen thousand one hundred forty-seven of them said Who we're cares?
4: winning the national championship.
0: Sixteen thousand one hundred forty-seven of them said I can't wait to find out who's going to be playing quarterback in spring ball. That's what they said then because they, it's Nebraska.
4: Then they land some highly touted college football recruit, five star, the top quarterback in the class. Yes, I think. because
0: that's that's the that that is the that's the epicenter of thought in Nebraska, and they blew you off the floor, and that crowd caused Indiana to roll up in the fetal position and wet themselves. They had 15 steals. Like,
3: forget about the turnovers. Like, it's different one. But they stole the ball 15 times. Yep. Here's,
0: here's my lunch money. Take it. Take it. Indiana fans, start watching Purdue. Be like Kent Benson. Kent Benson was your Indiana Mr. Basketball, one of your pillars of Indiana all-time. 1976, national champion, hit the shot against Michigan to keep the undefeated season alive. Kent Benson, national player of the year, number one overall draft pick. What'd he do? In his post-playing career, he went and bought season tickets and sat behind the bench at Purdue. Be like Kent Benson.
3: One of the worst part about last night, though, like just looking back on it through the fog of how bad they played defensively and how careless they were with the basketball, I've been asking for the last, I don't know, maybe five years, for consistency beyond the arc with more than just three shots a game. What? Nine of 18 from beyond the arc. Like I know I'm picking straws here, but like that's, that's a better no, you're right. offensive performance for the problem is can they put all that together? And it's a bad look. I get it. It's a bad look, trolling up in the fetal position as you put it on the road in Nebraska. But if I'm looking for, well, where is the light? If there is one for this season for them, It wasn't a horrific, in all accounts, offensive outing as much as the carelessness of the basketball aside, but they did not play the way they're expected to defensively. And if they don't have that perfect concoction, which is just where the bar is right now for them, again, it could have been addressed had they done it in the transfer portal. If they don't play perfect in nearly any facet, they can lose
0: to anybody on any night. Yeah. And that's probably true. Most teams in college basketball, to be fair. Right. But, but you pride yourself on being a program that's above that.
3: And it's, and it's. Tougher to your point when you look to the north yeah. and you see just a beacon right. of consistency
0: in West Lafayette. Now, granted, on the Purdue side, they got to do it in March. They right? do. I look,
3: look at it. Like, I don't, I, I get it. Players, coaches, they'll say it doesn't matter. Like, oh, it doesn't. It's, it's a crapshoot, which it is, but it, it does matter. It matters who is the one or who are the last four teams that survived that gauntlet.
0: That's what makes the tournament special. This is where we are in 2023 and i want to give a shout out to you boiler nation fans for years no matter how old you are as a purdue fan for years the thing that's driven you crazy is that people couldn't talk about IU or couldn't talk about purdue without bringing in iu right you talk to a purdue fan they're like it just drives me nuts because i'm a purdue fan and like you start talking about purdue and then instantly people turn it and talking about bob Knight in indiana well guess what here we are in 2023 we couldn't talk about indiana without bringing up Purdue. Because Purdue's the big brother, and I, Indiana's the little brother. It's where it is. It's where we are. we
3: don't have time in the segment for that. But I, I, in terms of where the powers that be are of consistency,
0: yes, they're still... Purdue's the big brother. Sure. Indiana's the little brother. Purdue is the one that P- kids right now walking around in a high school in Mesa, Arizona, they're aware of who plays for Purdue. They got no idea who plays for Indiana. They're like, Indiana? Did they play Washington State yesterday? Purdue's number one. I saw him beat Gonzaga. I saw Purdue on national television. Indiana, I saw, Yeah, they didn't they just get blown out by Nebraska? There is good news, by the way, for the Colts in terms of getting set for their game with the Houston Texans, and we'll tell you what that is on the other side.
5: Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at kisqal and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between.
0: So here's the good news for the Colts. Aside from the fact that they're playing a game coming up on Saturday evening that is primetime and gives them the opportunity to secure a playoff bid possibly even win the division depending on what happens but the good news bad news for the Colts and then we'll get back into where uh, Jimmy took issue with something I said from a health standpoint and I don't know that you would say that the Colts are necessarily I mean I think they're probably right now about as health as you would healthy as you would want like at this point in the year you know what I mean all things considered don't get me wrong. I mean, obviously, Anthony Richardson is, you know, a fairly size. But, but you know, they're starting to get guys back, which I guess is good news. Quentin Nelson practicing today. Ryan Kelly practicing today. Big. Zach Moss practicing today. And maybe the biggest of all, considering who they have upcoming, Kenny Moore II practicing today we could just say kenny moore probably i think most people know that the first is not out there um but kenny moore practicing today so that is good news um bad news maybe i guess you'd say bad news were you surprised Zaire franklin not a pro bowler quentin nelson the only tab for
3: is it a large a majority surprised. of the pro bowl fan based or, or is so. it all fan based because if it's all fan based then no like i, I never Yeah, I mean, I I never care about the Pro Bowl. Nelson,
0: there's like a little bit of a name brand that goes with that, right? Right. Like I, all that matters. Once you get to a point, it's like, that's the only guard I know. Okay, (laughs) sure. Right. Click it. We got to fill
3: that position for it to let me submit the ballot. The only individual awards that matter to me outside of an MVP are where you are on all pro first and second teams. Like maybe that's a generational thing. I don't know, but I don't view the Pro Bowl as something that should be a serious consideration for like Hall of Fame credentials no, or anything like for that. for sure.
0: For sure. But it is a night Yeah, I th- it's nice. It feels good. It I feels good. players enjoy it, it, right? It feels good, right? You know what? Here's what's funny about the Pro Bowl. The Pro Bowl is probably like an Emmy in television. I think I've told the story when I worked at Channel 6. I'm leaving one night, and I won't say the name, but one of the reporters is like, oh my gosh, where are you going? I'm going home. It's 12.15. They got this box. I said, well, what's in the box? Bunch of tapes. Why are there a bunch of tapes in the box? I had volunteered to vote for to to be an emmy voter and i forgot about it and i need a panel of seven people so myself two other people in the sports department this reporter we're like all right there's four of us i'll go get white castle we'll come back we'll make up three fake names and we'll vote on the emmys so the way the emmys is voted is you vote for a different region than the one in which you work so we were voting on like the eastern seaboard region so literally like put the tape in first is some guy that probably worked his entire career to try to win an emmy and he's standing like in a shipping yard in Baltimore doing a story on the the crimes of the inner city, Inner Harbor, of Baltimore. We put the tape in. I'm like, that guy's tie is awful. Out, done. No way. Next one goes in. Oh man, look at that! Like that's look at the background scenery, the way that shot there. There's your Emmy winner. Boom! That's how we voted on the Emmys. Took us 30 minutes, five White Castle burgers, and and we're done. Right. So if you win an Emmy, you're like, I want an Emmy. I'm going to put it on my mantle. I'm gonna I'm going to make sure that my Twitter profile says I'm an Emmy award winning journalist. And if you don't win an Emmy, you're like, who cares? It was probably voted on by a bunch of people with White Castle. <laughs> so if you're a pro bowler, you're like, hell yeah, I'm a pro bowler. Seven-time pro bowler, baby. And if you don't, you're like, yeah, whatever. It was voted by some drunk guy who had to punch a Gillette card at a game.
3: Right? To, to be clear, if there was an alternate universe where I had the ability to be a professional athlete, I would welcome any and all awards that came my way. Like, I'm not saying the player oh, shouldn't enjoy no it. no question. Uh, but I mean, just from a like our standpoint, it' cool. Yay. Like, it's...
0: I buy myself awards because I love me some me, right? So, yeah, exactly. I get it.
3: But no, I, I just, I focus more on all pro than I do, oh man, he was dissed For by sure. not being a part of the Pro Bowl. No, I,
0: that, that is a very, and, and the Pro Bowl also, especially now that, you know, they don't, the game itself became such a joke. The Pro Bowl now is like, you know, I mean, I think last year. Was it um,
3: flag last year? Am I making that up? It was flag football, wasn't it? Yeah, it was flag football.
0: Yeah, I think last year, Jack Thompson of the Bengals was an alternate quarterback for the Pro Bowl. I mean, it's like, you know what I mean? Yeah, I remember, Tyler Huntley was a Pro Bowler last year. Yeah, I mean, yes, you know. you're right, he was. Okay, so Jimmy, when we were talking about uh, Indiana and Purdue, and I was saying for, for those that are just joining us, where were you? Um, I was saying that Indiana now, and thank you for whoever corrected me, it is 2024, not 2023, but it's the 23 season. But Only four days in. The... Where we are now is that the dominant college basketball program that people know about is Purdue and not Indiana, and if you are a fan of Indiana basketball, then you probably should start. If you're a fan because of the nostalgia and the golden years of Indiana basketball, then you should start looking at Purdue. You should you should you should model yourself after Purdue and Purdue's the big brother. And you said no.
3: I don't disagree with that premise. And any good series rivalry with as much history as those two schools have, you'd put it up with any other rivalry in sports, there should be periods of envy by both fan bases. And I don't disagree with the premise that right now, that envy should be felt by Indiana fans because of the top C in the tournament or being in the conversation for the top C of the tournament is no longer an IU thing. It's a Purdue thing right now. I don't debate any of that. My issue, though, and this is where you get really deep into the psyche of sports fans, which is a bad idea to begin with, is my whole argument lists on the fact that they literally devote at any Purdue, I don't know if it's any athletic event or just basketball games, maybe football games too, they will devote a segment of in-game entertainment to a long build-up with a whole song and dance captivated by... Ah, you sucks like it's the definition of I use always on the brain of a Purdue fan. It just happens. It's a complex. Fair.
0: And I've I've made that point myself over the years about how ridiculous and absurd that was. But here's the thing. Not was, is still there. Still there. Here's the thing. Sure. And I know last year, obviously Indiana got the upper hand in the basketball rivalry. That's great. Right. They went 5 years out. Like I don't I don't pump my chest out but, like that, right? But the reason Purdue's the bigger brother is cuz right now, relatively speaking, it's correct. Sure. Right now, it, yeah,
3: I don't disagree with you on that. It's correct. Based on what is being done on the floor. Yeah.
0: What's the average age of a college student? 23?
3: 22? Is that too old? I'd say 20, 21.
0: I'd say 20, probably. 20 or 21. I mean, yeah, you do get some kids that are, you know, like I was in college till I was 50, granted. But I mean, in terms of like living on campus, I was 23 or 24, so, be, you know, but the, you have obviously a ton, you know. A ton of underclassmen every Every 18-year-old yeah, yeah, yeah. freshman yeah, is on right. campus. Yeah. You know, it's we. So let's just say 21 and a half, 22, sure, whatever, sure, sure. okay? Indiana's a 59% winning program over the last 25 years. So you're a 21-year-old kid. In your lifetime, you've seen Indiana play in what? Four Sweet 16s? Three? You've seen them win, like, eight tournament games yeah Purdue's got shortcomings in March no question about it but at least at Purdue you have some things over the course of the year to get excited about in Indiana you got two guys in cigars that are 50 years old jumping up and down trying to recreate a Christian Watford shot that beat somebody in a regular season game in December 10 years ago really okay and a team that later beat you and eliminated you from the tournament that year and went on to win the national championship I mean you know It's all relative.
3: Sure. I just, I, look, when we're here, we talk about, in a wide variety of ways, all the relevant teams in the state. And I will always sit here and tip my cap at what Matt Painter has done at Purdue and the consistency of that program. But when I leave and I go home as the fan and I went to Indiana and I support Indiana, I Don't think about Purdue, I feel like, the same way the average Purdue fan
0: does about Indiana. They get very defensive. There is no doubt that Indiana has the bigger fan base. No question. Indiana probably also has the higher percentage of crazy people that follow them. I would agree with that. Indiana, Yeah. yeah. I mean, for the reasons we talked about on this program on many, many occasions, Indiana, for the fact that it's... The jersey says Indiana. So a kid growing up in Monticello is like, oh, I live in Indiana. You know, so I'm going to root for Indiana. You know, I mean, for the obvious reasons, right? I I, I get it. But I'm just saying. No, they they are chasing
3: Purdue right now. I'm not arguing that point. They are. Like, Purdue has been a beacon of consistency the better part of the last decade, and at least in terms of Big Ten play and dominating the conference in a way that Indiana used to, and that's not the case anymore. Can't argue
0: that. Uh, for the Colts, that's pretty big for Kenny Moore to be back, though, right? Because yeah. of the fact that you know CJ Stroud, Jimmy, CJ Stroud to me is is fascinating because it, do you go back to the combine, or I, I should say, I go back to the combine when he said I am a ball placement specialist. And so far, and, and when he said it, Jimmy, I think people were like, he didn't say it in like an overly arrogant way, so I think people were intrigued by it. It kind of it kind of opened up some ears, like, oh, well, this guy's certainly proud or confident of his ability to deliver the football but so far in his NFL career he has not been wrong and I know he's coming off injury and probably himself trying to get a little bit of a rhythm back again but if he is a guy that gets in rhythm he can give you some real problems and for the Colts, they're going to need all hands on deck when it comes to every available body they can get in the back in the defensive backfield.
3: Yeah, especially somebody as talented as Kenny Moore. Correct. Right? And We've and been and highlighting that all week. Right? The, the idea of having that veteran presence back there along with the talent that he brings in a elimination game effectively, yes, you, you welcome that with open arms, and it's trending to that way. A full participant, or at least Martin's full participant yesterday from the practice report, and as you mentioned, practicing again today – that's great. A lot of people pushed back on Stroud at the time with those comments, not that he was being arrogant necessarily, but they pointed to, oh, well, look at the luxury of weapons that you had in college, and oh, it's not going to be what you're working with down in Houston, and it hasn't mattered. I mean, granted, the surge of Tank Dell when he was healthy got 11 games this year, seven touchdowns, 709 yards. Like compared with Nico, ne- or paired with rather Nico Collins, and as Eddie mentioned yesterday, what Dalton Schultz has been able to do. They've had consistent play at a lot of those playmaking positions in a way that has helped bring C.J. Stroud along. And if you're able to give him time to get in a rhythm, as you mentioned, Jake, which is why it's so important for them to be able to get home and win the battle in the trenches, as has been the formula for the Colts this entire year. If you're not able to get home in that way and give him time, he has shown throughout this year, even though he's a rookie, that not necessarily that he's mistake or that he's mistake invulnerable, but that he will find ways to beat you in a way that has put him in the conversation for Rookie of the Year.
0: Uh, Juju Prince going to join us, by the way, coming up at 145. We'll get his thoughts on, in particular, that matchup with C.J. Stroud. Tony East coming up just a couple minutes to talk about last night, the Pacers and the Bucks as Indiana. Now four of five over Milwaukee. 142-130 last night for the Pacers. I'll tell you about my night in Terre Haute. Including a pretty good dinner actually Everybody gave me suggestions I'll let you know where I ended up eating And it was not uh, Applebee's in Terre Haute Before the Indiana State game We'll get to that next
5: Life is so much more than a diagnosis It's about sharing time with those you love Hanging with friends who lift you up And experiencing all those moments that bring you joy All hits, no skips Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams At com. And talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. So
0: I was on, I think it was Saturday. You know, During those long holiday weekends, your days all kind of get convoluted. But I was talking to JMV, actually, and he's like, yeah, I'm getting ready to watch Indiana State and Michigan State. And I go, oh, yeah, I forgot that's on what channel. He goes, FS1. I go, cool. So I watched it. And I enjoyed watching Indiana State play. And so I just thought, you know what? These guys are playing well. You know, at that time, they were, I think, 11 and 1 going into that game. So I'm like, they, they should. So I looked up their schedule and I go, oh, they play Evansville on Wednesday night, that being last night. My sister went to Evansville. I went to a lot of Evansville games as a kid because my sister went to UE and we lived in Evansville when I was really little. But so I said, I'm just going to buy two tickets to support them and drive over there. Now, Sherrod Klingscales the athletic director at Indiana State, it was announced, submitted his resignation on December 30th. Uh, John would know far more about the inner workings of ISU than I, but my understanding is that you have a departing president as well who didn't necessarily see eye to eye with the athletic director. I know a lot of people are under the assumption, as was I, that a big part of the fallout for Sherrod Klingscales who's an Indianapolis guy, was when Indiana State made it into the Super Regional in baseball, but then could not host, despite having earned a home diamond, home field game in the College World Series, or you know, leading up to the College World Series, that they, because of the the Special Olympics event taking place in Terre Haute, there were not the hotel rooms available, and they had to go to TCU. And I think a lot of people thought that was perhaps the driving stake. My understanding after talking to people and being at the game last night, none of this being factual, but being kind of the the scuttlebutt, if you will, in Terre Haute is that there's been a lot of discussion about the future of the football program and the financials of the football program and that Sherard Klingscales wanted to um, continue to, to try to grow the football program and that perhaps there are others that felt like the football program, as is the case with a lot of universities where football is not making money, needed to be one that that money should be going towards the basketball program and football could be dissolved, and that maybe that was a factor. Not saying factually that was the case, but that's one of the, the, the theories that I heard pretty reliably from somebody in Terre Haute that would, that would, that would know. But the short of it's this. Uh, went over there. My buddy Byron and I drove over. Yes, Mike remembered his wallet. He typically forgets his wallet everywhere we go. But not only did he remember it, but he bought dinner, which was nice. Um, we went to Moggers, I believe is the name of it. That was the suggestion of Mark James. It's right in the shadows of the Holman Center. It's a very cool place that was originally uh, a brewery. And that's where Champagne Velvet was brewed, I guess, invented, created, whatever. I did have a champagne velvet, little tart for me, but it was good. A little light. Um, but the food was good. It's a very cool place. Had a nostalgic looking on the inside restaurant. And that was cool. And, and and but this surprised me. I said to the gal, now can we just park here and walk over to the arena?
4: She said, Oh, um after the game, this isn't a very safe area to be walking.
0: Oh yeah. The mean streets of Terre Haute, right? So we parked in the garage right across the street from the arena. Which was convenient, and I think it was like three bucks. Did you feel safer? I did feel safer. Good. Yes. Um, walked into the arena. They have done a fifty million dollar renovation to the Holman Center. That would that arena opened in nineteen seventy four. It seats uh, nine thousand, and they did a 15, $50 million dollar renovation th- that was completed within the last few years, and it was fabulous. The, that's a great arena there's not a bad seat not a bad seat in the house uh all comfortable seats by the way so there's no benches or anything like that and they had about 4500 there last night it was an exciting game just because they're offensively they scored kind of in a flurry they got good guard play they as a matter of fact they scored 80 71 of their 87 points came from their backcourt last night um Evansville closed a 20-point lead back down to eight, so it was kind of exciting there in the mid-second, and then Indiana State pulled away. But overall, good experience. You know, I I realize it's an hour and 30 minutes or something, but if you're looking for an outing on a Saturday or a Wednesday night or something to go watch college basketball, I would suggest it. I would recommend it because it was convenient, it was easy in and out, and it was a beautiful arena with pretty good basketball and a lot of in-game entertainment during the breaks and things like that. Sycamore Sam I'm a fan of. He made an impact? He did. <laughs> Sycamore Sam was fun. Yeah. My understanding is Sycamore Sam, not a guy. I think it's Sycamore Samantha. Was that scuttlebutt or is that factual? Uh, I was told that by somebody who who has met Sycamore Sam. Mm-hmm. But you never know, right? I don't know I don't know which den Sycamore Sam goes to after the game, but that's my understanding.
3: No one knew who Sycamore Sam was until they put on the mask. (laughs)
0: That's (laughs) exactly right. Uh, Tony East, Pacers, Bucks, last night. Recap next.
5: Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com. And talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between.
0: I have no idea how sharp-dressed Tony East is, or what the requirements are for SI or Forbes or any of the different places where his analysis of the NBA can be found. But my understanding is you just ate a popsicle. Is that right, Tony?
1: (laughs) I did. I did just eat a... A peach outside and popsicle. I am dressed like uh, the Sith Lord with my black coat up from Voldemort, so I don't think that is a sharp-dressed man right
0: now. Okay, fair enough. It's all relative, right? I, my question about eating a popsicle would be this. Uh, I've mentioned this on air before. Maybe not popsicles, but like otter pops. Do you remember what otter pops are? Or f- tasty, like the freezy ice freeze things, you know what I'm talking about? Yes. Yeah, I do. You cannot take the first bite of that without coughing. Your thoughts? <laughs>
1: I think you're you're definitely right. I, I I would like to see somebody try to do that. It, it, they should do that. Like you know how to do the same Elmo sauce. Correct. That, the Pacers break sometimes. should yep. Try to do that. You have to do it without coughing.
0: It has something to do with the syrup. I don't know. Like the, that 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 great pitch, <laughs> And it's an automatic cough. Um, something about the Indiana Pacers making the Milwaukee Bucks cough. I you know, it, Tony, is this a matter of Tyrese Halliburton just being so locked in, or strangely enough, as talented as Milwaukee is? Is Indiana a matchup problem for the Bucks?
1: Yes. Yeah, so that, that second part is actually really fascinating to me, right? I was trying to ask about this to a couple of people before the game last night because every time these teams have played, obviously Halliburton's been really good and, and there's something to that, but a guard or many guards on the Pacers have had awesome games because without Drew Holiday, the Bucks perimeter defense is not very good, right? Damian Lillard and Malik Beasley – are struggling to guard with their starters. Pat Connaughton isn't the same player he used to be, which is weird because he's not that old. So, you know, Matherin played great in basically every game against the Bucks this season. McConnell, who was two for six last night, was still really impactful because he can get into the paint and make stuff happen. Halberton's been amazing in all five of these games, really, uh, in this matchup this season. Right, Like, they're getting really good paint penetration from their guards, and I think that's a big part of this is that without Drew Holiday and some of the other changes the Bucks have made, their defense is way worse, right? They're in the bottom 10, I think, in defensive writing now this season, and it's a big change in their identity. Pacers have done a good job of exploiting that, and the matchup is more in their favor. It also helps that Harry's Halberton, who takes everything, you know, makes it a little petty and uses anything as motivation, can be very motivated for these games because he was phenomenal in all of them in the second half. Last night he was on fire from deep again, and, you know, on Monday when they were targeting the league Beasley, like Halbert was going to the mid-range. He never does that, but he just finds a way to cut those guys off. And it's been pretty impressive given how bad they were against the Bucks prior to this season.
3: We were discussing this yesterday off the air, Tony. I want to get your perspective on it. I'm used to, just because it's been programmed in my brain, Damian Lillard being able to take over games and put up 35 at will, essentially. And not to say that he still hasn't done that at times this season. that he's averaging around 25, 26 a game. But – how much of him not having a signature performance yet in a Bucks uniform against the Pacers has been because of exactly what you just mentioned? What they're throwing at them defensively?
1: Yeah, the Pacers were throwing good stuff at Giannis defensively too. And you know, I was talking to someone who covers the Bucks about this. Like it felt like to me, you know, Dame's best game in the series was the one the Bucks actually won, and of course Giannis had sixty four that night. But he was like more open and, and given chances to punish. The Pacers, and they were doing well on him when he had the ball. Like, and then Harden, he was healthy, did well. Bruce Brown, I thought, played pretty good last night defensively. But he did not play well in this series at all. And some of that is credit to the Pacers, right? They know Damian Lillard's very good. He has still had 23 points on 18 shots last night. Like, he's still a star player. But he did not have a good series in this Pacers-Buck series. And some of that is, again, credit to the Pacers perimeter defenders. But him being so off made it a lot easier for the Pacers to do what they wanted to do, which is, Form the wall against Giannis, who is naturally, despite his crazy numbers, kind of a pass-first kind of player. And so you make him think or hesitate for just one second, and Dame's not going to punish you. It's a little easier to slow down the Bucks and the Pacers, who could never slow down the Bucks before this season. Certainly found a way this year, and Dame's struggling was a big part of that.
0: Tony, there was so much talk. Tony East is our guest. Our guest. There was so much talk, understandably so, about the Pacers defensively needing to clamp down. You know they giving up 130 a night was not going to do it for him. Now, they gave that up last night, granted, but let me ask you this. Is everything okay there? Does somebody want a popsicle? What's going on? My uh, my cat is not happy that I'm not talking that's to her. That's a cat? So <laughs> that, that, was, that was a cat? Is everything going yeah. okay with the cat?
1: Yes, I have shut
0: the door. What, well, no that's longer. okay. We I, be, I'm a cat guy now. What, what's the cat's name?
1: Her name is Pepper. And She's where did, 21 years old.
0: Are you serious? And Yes. Yeah. Now, where did you get Pepper.
1: Uh, I inherited Pepper via my fiance. What
0: well, was her first drink?
1: <laughs> nice,
0: nice. What life is Pepper on? Do you think?
1: Oh gosh,
0: uh, she had a fight with a different cat
1: over the holidays, so at least third now. I mean, she is she's a fighter. And for the most part, violent, though, is Pepper
0: so. in pretty good health and stuff. Yeah, yeah, she is. That's she's pretty energy. awesome.
1: She gets the zoomies like six times a day. I don't know how she's doing this at twenty one, but. Okay.
0: I have a cat named Boo, and and I'm a little worried about his weight. We don't discuss it in front of him, Tony, but he's getting a little portly. You know what I mean?
1: Pepper will go through stages of not eating enough followed by eating way too much. So her weight is always wrong, but it's never clear which wrong it is. Um,
0: Okay, so Tony, here was my question, and i give Pepper a pat for me, um, about (laughs) Tyrese Halliburton. Is one of the byproducts of the Pacers – concerted effort defensively did that kind of slow things down for Tyrese Halliburton a little bit to let him get back control I'm not saying by no means was he a turnover machine by any stretch but he did go through a period there where he was a little more careless with the basketball and I wondered if that wasn't because they were playing at a pace that was too difficult to to upkeep And once they really started to buckle down defensively, it kind of slowed everything down on the other end as a byproduct, which allowed them to just kind of get control again over what they were doing. Am I out of my mind?
1: No, that's certainly true to some extent. Like, they've talked all season, and this was before their, you know, I'll circle this calendar date maybe for the whole season if this keeps up. Their December 19th practice before the Hornets where they – you know that right before that, Rick Carlisle was talking about maybe some lineup changes and maybe if they have to slow down, they'll do it and all that stuff. And they didn't end up doing that stuff immediately, but they have sense. But around that time is when Halberton was seeing all those blitzes for not like the first time, but like that strongly for the first time and that consistently for 48 minutes. And he was struggling; he would admit it. But he kind of thought the turnovers at that time were not a result of anything as a part of the game, but just him just <laughs> throwing the ball over the gym, right? And you could, I think of his like 25 assists, or excuse me, 25 turnovers after the in-season tournament. Like 21 of them were just bad passes that you know he could have had back. It's not like the defense forced him to do anything. So he was really frustrated with that stuff. But I think that yeah, part of it is what you said. Like they 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 didn't change things dramatically. Like they still play like the Pacers, but just slightly slowing it down. Different starting lineup that. Their defense is a little more simple. They're giving up slightly different shots. Like, all that stuff in tandem has obviously clicked. I mean, they've won five games in a row, but stylistically has made them more effective and has allowed Tyrese Halbert to settle back into being Tyrese Halbert. And some of that is that he's gone back to not having turnovers, right? He had four in, like, six straight games or something. He's also making the threes again and figuring out how to get into the paint. And so even when the, you know, the Knicks, for example, they blitzed him similar to how teams have before, when he struggled, but he carved them up, no problem, ready at 20 and 20 that night. And um, he certainly has figured stuff out. The Pacers have have changed slightly, so slightly that you can't really tell, but the stats suggest it a little bit. And it's working for him really well. Halberd's been great. Their defense has been better, uh, maybe not last night, but in general. And, yeah, they look great since then.
3: Tony East is our guest. He covers the Pacers as the beat writer for Sports Illustrated. Tony, we've been talking the last couple of weeks about if the Pacers would need to make a move at the deadline or what they were missing in terms of having a, a another useful piece on the wing or another consistent piece on the wing. Are we starting to see that answer potentially taking shape in terms of the second-year growth of Benedict Matherin, or is that going too far with what he's done the last couple of nights?
1: Yeah, Matherin and Nish Smith have you know, taken some of the pressure off of, like, the immediate need for a a three-right knee in the starting lineup has been really good. He, I mean, he might have played a perfect game last night. Statistically, he did. He didn't turn it over. He made all his shots. His defense was rock solid, as it usually is. And we talked about Matherin earlier, but he clearly looks more comfortable. He's been much better at making quick decisions while making those decisions that are Ben Matherin decisions, right, attacking the rim, getting to the line, He's looked better. He had three assists last night, which is a nice watermark for him of passing the ball well and still scored, I think 15. So those two in tandem are certainly answering some of the, you know, wing questions for the Pacers. Now, neither of them are what you consider classic forward defenders that they need, right? Neesmith's a little too short, just barely. And Matherin's not quite that bulky, but they can give you something there, which is valuable. And to, like they they could play Neesmith at the three. They could play Matherin at the three, and that's been fine. Those lineups have been working. Their new rotation looks good. But, I mean, at some point, maybe not right this second, maybe not this season, but they will definitely need someone at that spot. I mean, they've been linked to you, me, your mom, if we can play on the wing. So we'll see what they end up doing. But, yes, those two's emergence has, especially during this winning streak, showed, like, hey, they, they've got a little bit of depth there, but they still need that 3-4 monster type on both ends of the floor.
0: Tony, the reality is in professional sports that oftentimes a player gets signed to a contract based on future expectation. And then they end up getting moved because what they were committed towards, financially speaking, was not getting return on investment. Then there's the other side of it, which is you sign a guy and he really blossoms and you're like, man, we got a huge value here. Which guy for the Pacers is going to turn out over the Term of their contract to be the better advanced signing, Aaron Neesmith or Andrew Nemhard? Yeah, oh,
1: man. I mean, Nemhard's on the minimum right now just because of how he was drafted, and that's a steal. I mean, Niesmith's de- the, the the second they signed Neesmith for three or thirty-three million, I thought that was a good deal. Then and I
0: totally, I, I was stunned by it from his standpoint. I mean, I'm glad yeah. he did it, but I thought, good lord! I mean, if he would have, you imagine if he'd have waited one more season, the way he's playing right now. He's he's working into, you know, double probably what like a fifteen eighteen guy, right? Yeah, I agree.
1: Uh, yeah, double that's possible. I mean, he's a wing in the NBA; those are valuable. And he what he's first in the league at three point percentage. Like, yeah, like that that matters a ton in that. I think the you know not to relive that too much, but like the timing of that was really interesting because he had a decent preseason, but with Ob and Jarris Walker and Mandarin and like the minutes on the wing were not particularly clear. For the Pacers entering the season, right, and me Smith came off the bench to start the year. Like, I wonder if he was curious, like, man, if I don't have a good season and I'm not playing that much, it, what kind of offers are going to be there for me? And he took it, and 33 million is 33 million. But yeah, now I mean, he's got to be like, oh man. <laughs> and so they have him for this year plus that deal, so that's four years. I mean, that's a, that is a a steal. Memhard's on a minimum, and they have restricted free agency behind that. If you know, assuming he's still on the team for all that, you never know with anybody in the NBA these days. But a minimum for a starter is fantastic. His next deal, that will be where I'll be curious about the value because next year is probably his last year on his current contract before they have to sign him to the next one. So if he really starts to blossom, you know, he kind of has recently, and he's been good in the starters and has shot it a little better. But if he really starts to blossom next year, that would be significant for him and his his finances. And They're going to need a third guard at some point to be – the third guard for them, and it, it, he, he certainly seems like the leader in the clubhouse. So uh, I think Neeson's deal is already a steal, so it's easy for me to say him. But Nemhard on a minimum, is a steal, and on his next steal, we'll see where that ends up. But both great values for the Pacers right now.
0: Tony East is our guest. Tony, when it comes to Jairus Walker, and I get it, he's a young guy, right? Um, and you're bringing him along if you're the Pacers, slowly, clearly. What part of his game is the thing that is the most lacking in – I guess, is there an area of his game that is prohibiting him from starting to get into rotation, or is it strictly logjam of position?
1: A little of both. You know, like Toppin's young and deserves his time, and Jalen Smith's young and deserves his time, and Smith's young and deserves his time. I mean, we can go through all the forwards. It's not very hard to figure out why the situation is what it is. But he was a lottery pick, and lottery picks typically play, right, for their teams, so it, it, there is more to it than just a log jam. If he was playing awesome all the time, if he played, you know, his last two NBA appearances, that Wizards game and Timberwolves back-to-back uh, before, during their kind of downstretch, with his best two games, he was really, his Minnesota performance was the best of the season. He played over half the game and was solid for all of it. You know, in the G League, it's interesting, like the thing Carlisle keeps talking about is limiting his gambles defensively. Like his instincts are really good. He gets steals, he gets blocks, he's in the right spots a lot, but he is often too handy in reaching and you know look, looking for the home run play when he needs to be making the single, and so that does give up a lot of stuff. And he is, like he has the tools to be a good defender. At Houston he was a good defender. The NBA game is way different. Rookies are not good defenders usually right away in the pros. So it's just cutting down that stuff that I think will help him a lot cuz then he is closer to the player that he's going or expected to be one day. Uh, and able to help them on the end of the floor more because his shots are work in progress and he looks comfortable shooting off the dribble with the mad ads, but the catch and shoot's not really there. And he's, he's got the ball a lot in the G league, but in the NBA, it's going to be a lot more like catching it in the short roll and, you know, making plays that way. And his passing's looked good with the Pacers, but I think for him it's going to be catch and shooting specifically and just being more rock solid and less gambly on defense. And you know they've talked about those kind of stuff. He knows he needs to work on it. He is. It's just, the natural part of being a rookie on a deep team. It, it, it you know it's
0: a bummer, but it, it is what it is. You know, Jimmy, uh, little handsy was the reputation on you in college. right? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, right. uh, no, yeah. That's awesome. That's, that's the scouting report on you, from what I understand. <laughs> you know what I'm saying?
3: So you know, worked a long time since then to uh, to, to scrub that reputation. Tony, used our guest covers the Pacers for Sports Illustrated. Tony, it's been clear this season that the Pacers have had the number of at least as it stands right now on January fourth. The second best team in the Eastern Conference in the Milwaukee Bucks. Now you have two effectively. With don't want to totally gloss over Atlanta, but coming up as well two against Boston at GameBridge. Boston in their current state, winners of six their last seven. I know they lost to Milwaukee or lost to Oklahoma City rather a couple nights ago. When you look at the top team in the East in the Boston Celtics, what about how the Pacers are playing right now? Is repeatable and what can they build from their in season tournament win over them last month?
1: Yeah, at the time of that in season tournament win, you know, I think it was 112 was the Celtics score in that game. And that was, I thought at the time, best defense. Now, they've had a couple better since then, but that was key, right? They lost to the Celtics by a, by a billion, I think, a billion and five, I forget what it was, in Boston in early November. And Halberton didn't play that night, but they defended horribly, right? They scored 150-something and made every three they took, and they, they could get whatever shot they wanted. Now, look, no one can stop the Celtics, right? They, they're top five in offense and defense for a reason. But the Blazers did have some success that night, and I, I hate to point to it this lazily, but that for the game they beat them, it felt like that was the most effort they had on defense. Like, even when they would get beat, their recoveries were good. Their closeouts were better. Their recoveries were where they needed to be. Like, everything just felt – Better. Their second efforts, they didn't die on plays. And maybe some of that was the in season tournament. That was you know a sold out crowd, hype building uh, kind of situation. But if they can do that, I still, you know, Forzingas didn't play. I still think if you play, if you play your best, being the Celtics is very hard. Like it took a terrible Jalen Brown game for the Thunder to beat them at home earlier this week. But, you know, that's what it's going to take. They have to defend pretty well because we've seen it all season. The Pacers can score against anybody right they just scored 142 on not a good defensive team this year but a historically better defensive team in the Bucks. they've been scoring in the 130s and 140s against some good defensive teams but good defenses have slowed them more than anything so they have to score but really if they defend at the level they did in that in that early December game they'll have a shot because their offense can keep them in it with anybody it's just if you find a way to stop the healthy Celtics uh, you'll be the first team to do so so uh it's gonna be tough
0: Tony East is our guest from SI. Tony, in covering the Pacers, um, question for you. You have been to Brown County? You've been to Brown County, right? Yes, yes. If you had to go to Brown County for a long weekend and split a cabin with three Pacer players, which three guys would you pick?
1: Okay. First pick, easily I'm picking James Johnson. Everything he says is very interesting and makes me laugh or smile. Okay. Um I think he'd have a lot of interesting things to say and would be fun to spend time with. Okay, number two. Plus
4: he's similar, your enforcer if you ever get in trouble. <laughs>
1: that's right. That's right. Would be this I'd have the security team. I think the security hat is the funniest thing he does. Um Buddy Heald, similarly, very fun to, to chat with. Always has something interesting to say. And has a very interesting uh life experiences, right, that I think would be fun to bring along. As you can tell I'm leaning into the personalities here. Um so I have a couple couple guys that i think i'm considering for the last one tyrese halberton who just gets it kind of in every situation what his mood and attitude needs to be uh and it's fun to be around i think jalen smith's a funny guy i think he'd be fun to bring around Jerris walker's pretty funny um i think i'd take halberton just because i already have buddy there so we'd get some nice uh okay nice camaraderie with those two and james johnson that'd be my trio now
0: you then have to pick two players to alternate Checking in on and pet sitting Pepper. Who do you pick <laughs> now? You keep in mind you can't go with Halliburton Healed or Johnson because they're with you. With me, yeah. And Halliburton's a great pet owner. Him and names
1: are uh, are are great like that. I would have been a good choice. Man, I'm trying to think. Okay, Isaiah Jackson's got two dogs, so I know he's good with pets. Uh, but they're dogs, not cats. That is very different. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I still think I would take him. I know he's got that responsibility. Who else would I want in my house? Who else would keep my house nice and clean? I has <laughs> got a clean locker. Bruce Brown is a clean locker. He's a pretty responsible guy. I think Bruce Brown and Isaiah Jackson would be my picks there. I
0: think Andrew Nimhardt is intriguing in this one because he Nimhard seems like a, be a quiet guy, guy, right? I was considering him
1: as well. Yeah, but Pepper's so loud. I mean, that would be quite the clash in style.
0: <laughs> well, and then there's T.J. McConnell, who seemingly is like 21 in terms of basketball <laughs> years for a cat, and he's got nine lives in terms of his playing career, right? That's true,
1: that's true. I don't know if he has any pets, but he has kids, so he definitely has
0: responsibility yeah, but, in his, in his, in his
3: but blood. But Miles could get all those hard-to-reach places that you haven't cleaned <laughs> in years, that's right? True. You might come back and see true. like areas of your house you haven't seen Needless in the Needless to
0: say, the windows would be clean, right?
1: <laughs> <laughs> that small space between the cabinets and the ceiling for some reason, yeah, Miles Turner is all over. See, Isaiah Jackson's tall, though. I've got the height already. Yeah,
0: you're right, hey, you're right. You know what, Tony? Kidding aside, it, it segues to this, and I know we've discussed this before, but... It seems to me like the last, let's say, three weeks to a month has really been, in my opinion, my observation, kind of the cement of Isaiah Jackson showing that he is ready to be a permanent part of the rotation and a really reliable piece on them. What say you?
1: I agree. And you know it's like the fifth or sixth subplot of their big rotational changes from last week. But by starting Gerald Smith, who earned it by playing well, now it's easy to play Isaiah Jackson every game which is something he earned. He's been great this year. And this sounds stupid because fouling is literally an infraction. And his foul rate is still high, but now all of his fouls are the good fouls. They're shooting fouls on guys that are about to make a layup. He cut out all the stupid plays, right? The reach-ins that were terrible for the Pacers, the moving screens, all that stuff that really hurt his impact. And he cut all those out, so that helped him a ton. He's finishing super well. He's like made a couple random jumpers the last couple times he's been in there. And he's so mobile on defense that you can switch with him when he's out there. He has really cemented it. Yeah, I agree. cemented himself as like, okay, this is what he can be and what he is. And I, I, I said this all season about him, and now he's earned play time, which is great. Like, he had to be kicking himself for his preseason play because every time he played during the regular season, he showed he was a rotation quality player. But in the preseason, he didn't and got outplayed by Jalen Smith so much that he lost the role. But he's earned it back. He's been great. Off the bench, he was really good defending Giannis. Maybe the Pacers' best player for it in this series. So yeah, he's earned his minutes, and he's been great for them in a meaningful way this year.
3: Sports Illustrated Pacers beat writer Tony East joins us. We discussed this yesterday, Tony, and it goes with Isaiah Jackson earning those minutes, and it goes with where this team, from a rotation standpoint, moves when we get to a couple months down the road. I know that's hard to map out, but when you look at what this team's been able to do over this stretch. And let's just say, for the sake of the discussion, they stand pat at the deadline. They are comfortable with what they have. They don't trade any pieces off for like future assets, and they don't bring in another piece. They just keep what they have. Would they be wise to do what most teams do in the playoffs, which is shrink a 10-man rotation down to 8? Or is that 10-man rotation they have right now such a key aspect of their depth that it would actually hamper them to do so when we get into the playoffs?
1: I, I think that's gonna be one of the most interesting storylines, Jimmy, of the next like four or five weeks with this team, right? Like Bruce Brown came back last night and Nemhard was hurt so it was hard to figure out exactly what this was, but you know well, who's gonna not play? Like they have eleven guys who you think, yeah, that, that guy should probably be playing. That guy should probably be playing. Like T J. McConnell's been playing very well and Nemhard has been fitting in well with the starters. Bruce Brown was good after returning Last night, most guys off the bench would play. Well, they have 11 guys who you'd say, yeah, that, that, guy should, that guy should probably play. So who is and isn't going to in the regular season? It's already an interesting top, topic to me. Their depth is such a strength, right? It guided them past the Bucks on Monday. Their bench was so good in that game. It's the reason they were able to be in it late in the game. And that's been a thing all season, right? In the in-season tournament, it was pretty funny. People asked the Pacers, hey, your depth has been huge for you in this tournament run. Like, Where did you think that come from? And Tyrese Albert said, yeah, that's been a – we've known that all year. Like, that's been a thing locally all season. They know their depth is a strength, but teams do shorten it up in the postseason. They go with their starters for as many minutes as possible and as key of bench guys as they can. So how how does Rick Carlisle cut that down if he needs to? Or what guys kind of prove that they should be among the top eight or nine? I think that's going to be a big story for the next couple weeks for the Pacers. Like – what a healed shots not going in. Is he going to be among the top eight? Is it guys who can defend? Is it T.J. McConnell's paint presence is so valuable? Where you know who doesn't doesn't rise up because it's really hard to answer those questions because their depth is such a strength. But you would like to play your best eight, seven, nine guys as much as you can in the postseason, and it's not exactly clear who that is for the Pacers right now.
0: By the way, what, what kind of cat is Pepper? Like what colors Pepper? I mean, I'm assuming like pepper colored, right?
1: Yes. Yes. Brown, black, and she's got, like, the white fur sock-looking thing going on.
0: Very cool. I'll get a, right.
1: I'll get a picture up when I get off for you, just
0: for you. <laughs> Okay. I, I mean, Pepper might be fleet of foot, you know, but if you can get one, <laughs> that's fine. Uh, Boo's a little camera shy, but that's cool. Tony, we appreciate the time, as always, and a uh, busy flurry here for the Pacers, so I'm sure we'll be talking to you soon. You got it. You know it. Thank you. All right, Tony East joining us on the program. Again, Pacers and uh, make sure I get this right, Eddie. You correct me if I'm wrong. Atlanta on Friday, Boston on Saturday, mm-hmm. Boston on Monday. Right? That is correct. So, are we going to see like on on Sunday? Are Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum just going to be walking around downtown? Ooh, maybe walking around the the garage. Maybe checking out the noodle, mm-hmm. hanging out. Wonder what do an NBA play? I remember. NBA players on a day off just you know, they they probably used to walk around like Circle Center, but I played actually at Circle Center Mall back when they had an arcade up there. I played the Indy five hundred game. Cliff Robinson, the late, I believe Cliff Robinson, uh, was in the league at that time and loved the Indy five hundred game and paid for like the entire bay for free for like three hours. It's <laughs> like me and four other guys were like, holy cow. Okay. So there are benefits, right? Benefits to an off day with NBA guys walking around. Juju Brett's gonna join us and he's gonna do so at one forty five. and everything in between. Eddie, did you mention that? And this was the beauty of it. We usually do the Thursday road trip, right? And see, si, Señor. I guess at the last second, you noticed that your tires were low, so we called AAA, and they came out immediately and got it repaired. But just to make sure, you want to make you, we're going to wait till tomorrow to do the road trip, right?
4: Correct. Yeah, we will do the road trip tomorrow. We will also hopefully have a two-minute drill tomorrow as well with Kevin Bowen.
0: Kevin Bowen not part of the two minute drill. Kevin Correct. Bowen a full segment. Yeah. Yes, sir. I was gonna go the
3: other way. I'm glad we tied in AAA helping us out there. I thought it was gonna be like it's trash day
0: after a holiday where you just move it. That the definitely extra throws day. you off as well, you know? right? Doesn't yeah. that? Yes. Now now I've always wondered this. When you come off a holiday, and so therefore, like your trash day is usually Wednesday, now it's Thursday because yeah. Monday was a holiday, that kind of thing. So what what who gets like the the short end of that? Does somebody then get completely skipped? Is that what happens altogether? Like, when you does mean, it resume? because if somebody
3: has, like, a Friday, you're not suddenly getting to happen on
0: Saturday. Is you that know what you mean? Yeah, like, like. so then the next week you're back to normal, regularly scheduled trash pickup, right? Yeah. So does that mean that somebody gets doubled up or somebody gets skipped over? I guess somebody get just gets, why don't they just stay with the same days, and if you're on Monday, you're out of luck?
3: Totally reckless speculation here. Forgive me for not knowing how Department of Waste operates. Um, Department of Ecology, I believe. Is that what it is? I have no idea. <laughs> uh They do it at different times too. So maybe it's spread out where they're doing two shifts instead of one to cover everybody. Because ordinarily for us, it's a morning arrival and they
0: don't come after a holiday until like the afternoon. I always wanted to be a, a trash guy. Yeah. You get to stand on the back of the truck, that's cool, right? This time of year would suck. But like in like the spring, you stand on the back of the truck, that's cool. You get to throw stuff in. I'm always curious like how long it takes before you got to compact. Like, there'd be a, a great feeling of satisfaction when you compact the truck down, and then you get more stuff in there. But also, I'd like to know from somebody who does this for a living, how often do they keep something they see, or set it aside and go back and get it? It's, it's got to like be a on fair heavy, amount, right? On heavy trash days, sure. Most well, definitely, that's amplified. Now, this time of year has got to be awful, because everybody's throwing out all their Christmas boxes and all that. I bet it sucks. But I mean it but you know somebody's throwing out like a kid's bike and you're like, it still works, I'll take that at the very least I'll donate it somewhere, right? Where do you put that though? Well, I think here's the thing. I wouldn't be surprised if you set it aside and make note and go back later. Mm. right? Okay. I mean that's a possible I would think that's possible. Now do you think you'd I guess you'd smell after a while, right? But is the trash in the the trash isn't in the truck long enough to start stinking, right? I imagine that that
3: is not a that the enthusiasm of that dies when extreme temperatures arrive. <laughs> <laughs> like you're right. Springtime, yes, absolutely. But
0: then you get 105 you think- <laughs> degrees or below. Now, is that because of the heat factor or the the putrid nature of it factor? Yes. <laughs> All the above. Fair enough. 2 through is the telephone number. Jonah, who used to live in Arizona and I think is back in Indiana, but then keeps writing about how he's got to drive back to Arizona because he left something back and, and has to go get it, joins us. Jonah, you are where right now?
2: I I've moved all my st- – oh, am I on?
0: Yeah, go ahead. Uh, Sorry. I'm still
2: in Arizona right now. Uh, I moved all my stuff back, but I just got to tie up a couple of loose ends. I'll be back probably early February. Now, oh, you... and by the way, happy New Year! I, I know I'm behind on stuff, like always.
0: <laughs> no, happy New Year to you! I, I'm curious right now. I don't know if you know, but if you walk outside, it, it's basically here in Indianapolis. It's Poland. Does that make you regret in any way, shape, or form your decision to be leaving the Valley of the Sun?
2: Uh no, uh, it, not really. I, seven years here, and it's you know, I'm actually a bigger guy, so I actually like the cool better than the heat. We just had a brutal summer, and Are I you insulated any like Eddie.
0: Eddie's wife says, or girlfriend said he's insulated. Are you insulated?
2: Oh, I'm, I'm over 300 pounds, so I'll, I'll let you guess that one.
0: <laughs> okay. There you go. You guys are brothers of insulation, Eddie. Let's go. It's <laughs> nice to have someone. Um, Jonah, you're, and we'll be happy to have you back here in town. Your thoughts on the Pacers? So is, jo- is Jonah the director of insulation now? He is. That's okay. right. Um, cool. Along with our friends. I'm also the Indiana. director
2: of bringing heat back to Indiana. There we I was go. there over Christmas, and it was 60 degrees, so I did my job. Man, I you can did. Also, I can, we-
0: I could do two. I
2: could do two jobs at once.
0: Love that, man. Love it. Uh, okay, your thoughts um, on the Pacers?
2: Hey, I, I love what I'm seeing. Uh, you and Tony kind of brought this up on the air a little bit, but what I like to see, or what I've been seeing that a lot of teams don't have, is the bench play. And not only are they deep, but one thing I've noticed is Rick Carlisle is really toying around with the lineups and matchups, which is something a lot of teams can't say they do. Like. For example, Buddy Hield's minutes have been reduced, and understandably so, because you know him on deep. His defense is really not all there. But I really like how they mix it up for the second unit game by game, and you could just tell the matchups have been very favorable. And that's you know going down the stretch in this crazy schedule of January. I think that could save some minutes for some guys and not just being worn out by the All Star break. And if we take these two games against the Celtics, maybe the NBA will be like, huh, why haven't we put the Pacers on national TV?
0: I'll tell you what. It would be a tall order, Jonah, and I appreciate the call. Be a tall order for the Pacers to take both against Boston. Who knows? Stranger things happen. They're both at home. Obviously, we know that you know they were able to beat them here in the in-season tournament that, that sent them to Vegas, which was awesome. Um, he's right about the national TV thing, though. Like yeah, I thought, for sure. I thought
3: the in-season tournament was going to be a springboard where you'd start to see more of that. And I'll be honest, I don't know the logistics of like how the NBA can right. change all of that.
0: How much flex there is, right?
3: But it would be nice to
0: see that. Now, in terms of lineups, I, I agree. You know, Rick Carlisle had basically said, "Look, lineup changes are a possibility," and I don't know that you would say that there were wholesale changes, but he's probably tweaked. But the thing, and I don't mean that he's taking something; I mean he's tweaking the lineups. The the things that. Jump out to me when watching them. Is there have been a lot of games where I'll look up, and the Pacers are down five or down seven, but he he brings in Nimhard and Jackson and Smith and you know different players off the bench, and, and then you look at it and he is able to keep his starters on in shorter rotation to be able to bring in and go longer on his bench time because of the depth they have. And as a result of that, you just know that how often do we see late in games where Indiana closes things out because they're just going they're fresher. Quite frankly, that's what it boils down to. And you you don't want negative plays or negative minutes
3: when your key pieces sit. That's often what Correct. happens with teams that are top heavy in terms of their cap structure is you have to cut corners with that second unit right. and, and there's a massive drop off and you hope that if you're up against a team like that that your second unit is going to win those minutes or at least stem you know the what? tide of things for when they come back. Jimmy,
0: here's something that happens, and I'm going to put it in terms just because a lot of times people ask me about this. So depending on which side of fanaticism one's on, it makes the other side relatable. In auto racing, so we'll use the Indy 500, okay? In the last, what we call a stint, that's the period of time between pit stops, Okay. You have two two drivers that are on the track, and one of them has, or like this is particularly true in like the road course, like the IndyCar Grand Prix, but a guy like Scott Dixon has the lead and is staying out. He is managing to drive in a way that is conserving fuel, so he's able to get two extra laps on a stint versus, say, an Alexander Rossi. So Dixon's doing it. And he's going out and he is extending to the point where he's able to go two extra laps. So at the end of the race, when there are eight laps left, Dixon has a little more fuel in his tank. And as a result of that, he is able to go faster because we'll hear in the radio, we're like, he's fuel rich, meaning nothing is holding him back. He is able to go full throttle because he conserved fuel earlier. So now he is rich on fuel, meaning he can get all the extra speed necessary for the last eight laps. Whereas Rossi has the fuel light on and he's got to be a little more careful, even though he's now got the lead after the pit cycling. Rossi's got to be careful because he knows Dixon's able to come at a much faster pace. The same thing holds true in basketball. When you have a group that is out there that is able to maintain a pace for you but do so for a longer period than your opposition, and therefore you don't have to bring your starters back in as readily available and as quickly, then late in the game they are fresher and they're on fuel rich. They're on full rich, and they're going. And that's what Indiana's been able to do, which has been a huge benefit to them.
4: Um, we got a tweet at and Company from Jeff. He says, the worst day to be a trash guy is the first warm day in March. Having dogs in winter means you don't uh, pick up their poo that frequently. <laughs> so when it warms up, you're basically filling up a g- big garbage bag of warming, dethawing thawing turds. Now, now wait a Guilty. minute. Now, hold on.
0: Guilty. So people don't curb their dog in the winter time? I am
3: less aggressive about it. Like, for instance, I will let in the wintertime, I try to be cognizant of it, but there's times if it's too cold, I'm like, eh, I can get
0: the dog poop in a, in a, a week. Okay. And then that turns into three. This certainly went a direction I wasn't into. It turns into never. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, Juju Bridge, by the way, I'm sure thrilled to be coming in off that conversation. <laughs> Will join us next.
5: Was there a... Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up,
0: anticipated or did a double take when you saw the list of at least for now the tentative pro bowl list where you're like wait a minute where is so and so
3: again not not really because i i just don't i don't get caught up in in that level of pro bowl fever did you did you was there one where you looked at it and you thought well there's a real snub there because doesn't a large part of it fall on the fans like am i wrong on that
0: It does, but I mean, I think it's a barometer of the relevance and, you know, just a a tip of the cap to the play, right? Yeah, the cachet. That's a good way of putting it. Um, I thought there was a chance Michael Pittman would be in there just because he has had a good year. But again, I think we in Indianapolis, we are esoteric with it, assuming that that means because it's a good year for him here that everyone around is noticing that, uh, you know, how do you celebrate if you're an alternate? How does that
3: work? Because Pittman is an alternate, as is Ryan Kelly, as is DeForest Buckner, as is Zaire Franklin.
0: You say, hooray, if <laughs> somebody else doesn't want to go and play flag football, I then I can say that in the old days I would have been on my way to Hawaii.
4: How do you feel about a participation trophy, Jimmy? I'm sure that's how they feel.
0: I don't know. I mean, I guess it's it's better than no mention at
4: all, right? I suppose, but yeah. like... I don't know how that works contractually cuz I know some players have it in their contract like if you get if you're a pro bowl you get X bonus. So I don't know if they're labeled as a pro bowler yet. Now if somebody opts out and they go in, obviously they would be.
3: I don't mean to further dig a grave for the pro bowl, but if I was having my agent negotiate contracts, I would want all of that based on like all pros. I wouldn't want a ton of it tied towards a mixed bag of the pro bowl. Well,
0: I don't know, man. I Which one do you think is easier to be named? Depends what your staying power is in a fan base, right? But, Jimmy, here's the thing. All pro? Mitchell Trubisky is a Pro Bowl quarterback. The point is this. If I Listen, you and I play the same position, right? Sure. Eddie's our agent. Eddie says to you, Jimmy, which do you want in bonuses? And you say, I want all pro bonuses put in there. I tell Eddie all day long, put in Pro Bowl for me because... Every year, definitively, without hesitation, there are 11 players that are named first-team All-Pro on on one side of the ball. There are 30, by the time it's said and done, that are named All-Pro. To be clear, I'm
3: including second-team All-Pro as well. Like, I'm
0: not— Okay, 22. I get it. I know. I'm just— But by the time, you know, the Pro Bowl, by the time you go through all—I mean, it becomes a gray area, but yeah, if I'm the seventh alternate, there's a really good chance that I'm named to the Pro Bowl. And then I get to go play flag football as if it's Battle of the Network Stars in 1977 and David Letterman's jumping over a hurdle while, you know, Joyce DeWitt is running a 40 yard dash. Hell yes, let's go. I think I'm it would depend about what it.
3: position that I play. Because oftentimes, if you're a lineman, like I feel like you're more likely to get recognition in all pro stature versus everybody rushing to go vote for you to the Pro Bowl. If that makes sense. Like I feel like you're more often regarded within those where your position group is a heavy focus versus a popularity contest like the Pro Bowl.
0: By the way, Juju Brent's uh scheduled to join us here. I'm not sure if they they might be running late over there on, on West 56th. Um you know the I always thought the Pro Bowl was really cool not watching it. I mean it was terrible to watch and it was actually kind of tough to watch at times because it's like late January or February and it's you know they're showing beach scenes and I mean it you know the weather's perfect. But in terms of the players, it was kind of like a gathering point for you know, there's so many stories about Peyton Manning and talking to Bill Belichick at the Pro Bowl and I you know, probably a little bit of like strategy swap to an extent, just kind of going over things. But I always just thought kind of the the, the fraternal feeling of it was kind of cool. And it was really odd. I mean, I, I went to the Pro Bowl once in Hawaii and was there at the stadium. It was the Peyton manning mike Vanders at Vanderjette-Lickered-Up-Kicker comment year. And that meant so much to the people of Honolulu, but you kind of got the feeling it was going away just because so many more players were opting out. And, and so much of that, Jimmy, was just the fact that those last couple of renditions of it, I mean, it was terrible. They'd snap the ball and the linemen are literally just standing up, right? Yeah. Zero contact, nothing going into it, just brutal. Now, we were talking about the Pro Bowl alternate list. I'm going to name for you guys some of the starting quarterbacks this Sunday in the NFL, and I want you to tell me what team they're starting for. You ready? Yeah.
4: This is fun.
0: We'll begin with Trevor Simeon. Trevor Simeon, Eddie or Jimmy? Which one? Raise your hand. Whichever's first. Eddie Garrison. Yes. Jets. That is incorrect. Went. Jimmy Cook. Uh, do you have a guess on Trevor uh, Simeon? Uh, Seattle. Seattle is also incorrect. Trevor Simeon will be starting for the Chicago Bears. Okay, Carson Wentz. Is that not right? Eddie's I mean, looking like at me like crazy. Ninety-nine
4: percent sure
0: it's the Jets. Is it the Jets? Okay, hold on. While well, he researches Rams. Carson Wentz, is Rams. That is correct. Maybe I'm. Maybe what I saw in Simeon was. I, I thought Simeon was with the Bears. See the Bears last year. I didn't last know where year. he was. So I have no idea.
4: Look up yeah, Simeon. That's Simeon. He just started against the
3: against Cleveland on Thursday Night Football.
0: Okay, okay. I, I take Jets. back my
3: noise towards Eddie. Good job. Blaine Gabbert, Chiefs.
0: You knew that was going to come. Thank right? you. All
3: right, I'm done. He didn't even
4: raise his okay. hand.
0: Easton Stick, Chargers. Easton Stick. By the way, Eddie. You know why Eddie knows that? Why? Easton baseball. Because he he actually swung with an Easton stick when he was at Decatur. Central. There you go. Uh, did I already say Carson Wentz? You did. Yes. I got that. Okay. Uh, Tyrod Taylor. Oh, where is he now? Really? I raise your hand. No, I, I... The Giants. Eddie Garrison is That's correct. right,
3: because he underthrew on that two-point... Ah, I...
0: Jarrett Stidham. Go ahead, Eddie. I'm, I'm Denver Broncos. Denver Broncos is indeed correct. Jeff Driscoll. No. Uh, Minnesota? Minnesota, incorrect. <sighs> Go on, Eddie. Eddie Garrison
4: I believe this is Cleveland
0: you are correct the Cleveland Browns all of those quarterbacks starting this weekend and Trevor Simeon might as well be starting for the Bears right yeah I thought for sure he's in Chicago no he's with the Jets so that means the Jets have the Jets which team has started the most quarterbacks this year would it be the Jets
4: I would have to take a look at the Jets or the would Browns. Minnesota
0: have a conversation, too? Yeah, the Browns yeah. would be up there. The Browns Let's have see, started, Jerren like, Hall. 35 over the last 10 years. the
4: Minnesota had at least three? Hall, Cousins, Dobbs, Um Boy, I remember Dobbs for, like, two weeks there. It was like, <laughs> man, this guy's
0: going to be a pro bowler. Didn't work out that way, right? Let's
4: see. Walker, Watson, Dorian Thompson-Robinson, and um,
3: Jeff Driscoll if you and count- Joe Flacco. That's five. Wow. If you count how many times they've swapped, it's not five different individuals, but it lands in that conversation. So with Cleveland, how many they've Cleveland's
0: made. seed cannot change and move, correct? Yes, that is correct. Okay. So I assume that's why Jeff Driscoll's getting the start, right? Right. For most of these instances, it's teams that have nothing to play for. What would you have gotten if you'd have done a parlay in August? In Las Vegas, were you wagered specifically that in week 17, is that what we're in, 17 in the NFL season? 18. How can it be week 18 if there's 17 games? By week I know. Yeah. I mean, the week zero and all that. Yeah. I don't, but anyway, it's week 17 for the team that's playing, in my opinion. But all right. in game 17, week 18, not including week zero and the bye week
5: of we the NFL the season thing.
0: in August, how much could you have won if you'd have wagered a parlay that the Cleveland Browns, because of a secured and locked-in playoff seed, will be resting Joe Flacco <laughs> to get him ready for a postseason push?
3: We'd find out how much you really liked us. That's how much money you probably would have taken there? I mean, honestly, what
0: if you put a hundred bucks on that? What do you get? I mean he wasn't even on the roster so there would be no way that you would have been able to do that but hypothetically speaking crazy odds like 5000 to 1 odds right probably. probably even yeah i'd say more than that yeah now for I, them to be able to rest him because they're already in the playoffs i need to do my check by the way of you know last year with mark dykton on the morning show i got on one of the apps and a oh, futures bets I put down, I think I, I, took, I took $20 and I I dispersed it amongst like 12 different teams to win the Super Bowl for this year. Oh, okay. So I want to see how many of them are even still alive, right? Because I think I picked a few of them that it's not possible now because they're, you know what I mean, The the, the year is over with for them. You took the Panthers? I think I did take the I Panthers. feel like you
3: did too now that I say that because I remember you throwing out some long, long shots
0: and I feel like they were one of them. Okay, here are those of which I still have alive because I think it tells me now. Okay, the Buffalo Bills. Big this weekend for that bet. The Buffalo Bills, if they win the Super Bowl, I had them at 8-1. Um, to one. The Baltimore Ravens. Big. I imagine when you got that, that was really nice. I put a buck on the Baltimore Ravens. It'll pay me 24 bucks. The Denver Broncos. Mm-hmm. Are they still mathematically alive? No, I think they're dead. Because this shows, is it still being open? My guess is not until the week the 18. Regular seasons. Okay. It depends yeah. how much money they can get back from Russell Wilson. Uh, yeah, you're right, because Carolina, they still have as possible. Uh, I had Carolina at 56 to 1. Tennessee. Okay, the Colts. If the Colts win the Super Bowl, boys, I got news for you. I'll bring you guys in each a PBR if the Colts win the Super Bowl because I will win 604 bucks. Just one PBR? Yep, that's right. I'm very generous. you P- got like two six-packs at home. Pittsburgh Steelers. That are in cans you won't drink. <laughs> that's correct. And, and I can't have it on draft because they blew the keg. And Boo's not 21 yet, so Boo <laughs> can't drink those. That's right. Pepper's coming over to have a PBR. Uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers. Still alive, right? They are still in and the hunt. How about this one? The Detroit Lions was that ninety five buck? bucks for me if the Detroit Lions win.
3: How much was that? Fifteen. I, I put 10? down three
0: bucks. Nice. Uh, I, I take that back. It pays ninety, so I, I profit ninety three. Okay. Um, Jacksonville and the San Francisco 49ers.
4: Yeah, I think you've got the Super Bowl winner in there somewhere, Jake. You think so? I think so.
0: Based uh, on yesterday's conversation. that It's going to be the Indianapolis in Colts, and I'm going to pick up 604 bucks. <laughs> and the first thing I'm going to do with it is I'm going to buy an That's ad right. for an all-point bulletin for Juju Brents. By the way.
5: Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at kisqal and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between.
0: Last night, flurry of activity um, in the world of college basketball and professional basketball. Good news, bad news, and let's get back into... Um, while we still effort, if we, if that's actually a word, Juju Brents, Matt Taylor going to join us bottom of the hour. Um, I want to talk about what happened last night, not only for the Pacers and the Bucks and Giannis afterwards talking about the Pacers taking four or five with a great sound clip, but uh, Indiana basketball. We haven't really gotten into it since the beginning of the show, Jimmy. But but and I'll I'll temper my rant, okay. But I think we knew going into it that Nebraska – and this is life in the Big Ten. You go on the road in the Big Ten and, you know, things can get tough in the Big Ten, right? And Nebraska's not a bad team. I mean, they're well coached and they have good guards. And that's what you need is good guards, right? Because what did Purdue last year do? Purdue had a dominant player in Zach Eady over the course of the regular season, and then they didn't get good guard play, and so they went out and addressed it this year. They worked on it, and then they went out and they got Jones, and... You know, one guy does not an automatic difference make, but they got athleticism. You've and seen they,
3: leaps forward from Fletcher Lawyer and Braden correct. Smith more than they were a year ago. Correct.
0: And they, they're practicing against more athletic guys every day. You know, they, they address the situation. This is my frustration with Indiana. As I said earlier, we live in a world today where everything is a faster result. We are a shorter attention span society. We... Things are faster, quicker, more accessible, and more easy. And that isn't always fair because sometimes when you're trying to turn things around or get things going in the right direction, you want to make sure that you are giving it proper time. And that's why with, for example, Indiana basketball and Mike Woodson, you wanted proper time. And it's unfair to expect immediate turnaround and immediate result. But we are in year number three, and Indiana over the last 25 years, 501 wins and 349 losses, 59%. But they had a situation going into the year where they needed to address guards, and they flat out didn't do it. They didn't do it. Their guards are no better. They they were relying on Xavier Johnson, who's a like a seventh-year player. Admittedly, he was hurt, but he's had – I think, some maturity issues over the course of the time that he's there. They have not had good outside shooting. Gabe Cups might be a good player in time, but he's not ready just yet. And they did nothing to address their guard situation. And as a result, they get blown off the floor at Nebraska. And Nebraska's not a bad team, but I'm sorry. If you're Indiana, the fans of Indiana expect and want different than that. We'll get more into it later in the show, but joining us now on the program he is, of course, a rookie for the Colts and a guy that I think has played really well for them, talking about Juju Brents, who threw seven games. He's played three straight now. He's got a pick that happened against Jacksonville earlier in the year. Juju, the first question I'll ask you would simply be this, and that is, how. the last time that I personally talked to you was when I was doing the morning show with Kevin Bowen before I came to this time slot, but it was during camp, and we mm-hmm. talked to you then. How
6: are you different now than you were, let's say, in August? Um, I would say just the maturity level as far as, like, the game within the game. Um, (laughs) some of the guys in the locker room call me, like, the the rookie in the vet, young vet. Um, so just having that mentality, man, like, it's winning time, so um, there's no time to play that young card. Um, you got to be a vet now, um, to step up, um, being vocal, things like that, and, uh, just being a leader, you know, uh, just getting out of my comfort zone, um, (laughs) just helping everybody else around me. So I would say just taking those those next big steps, the game within the game.
0: Having this game and everything that's on it, Juju, Saturday night, primetime, Aikman and Buck, entire country watching, win and you're in, lose and you're out. How much has it changed this week? First and foremost, I guess, just based on the schedule of not playing on Sunday and playing Saturday night, how are things different in the building than they were, let's say, a week ago?
6: Yeah, I mean, we all know, uh, like, the situation we're in and uh, you know, just the opportunity that we have at stake. But, uh, man, we just, you know, okay, play on Sunday, play on Saturday, Saturday, whatever it is, just give us opportunity and we go show out. So uh, now, man, just, just having a sense of urgency, um, making those plays and practice and uh, just straining, just straining and practice. So once we get to game time, man, you can feel comfortable, confident. You can go out there and just execute. So just putting the work in, you know, all this week that we've done. And uh, once it comes Saturday, man, it's going to be a show.
3: Colts rookie cornerback Juju Brents, nice enough to take some time with us. Juju, players all the time, when there's a win-and-get-in game, talk about how it's the thing that you dream up in your backyard when you're playing football, you know, out with your friends. This is literally your backyard for you, having played at Warren Central. What is that like as a player you obviously are getting to play with your hometown franchise, but the idea of getting to do it as close to your backyard as you could hope for if the game wasn't played at Warren Central.
6: Man, it's dope, man. It's just, it's just a blessing to be in this, uh, this position. Um, you never know how things are going to play out. Um, and then when I, once I got that call in April, you know, I was going to be a coach. I was, you know, it's a lot of different emotions, but once it settled in, it was just like, man, it's taking it all in. Like, I'm really going to be playing for my city. And, and now they had a chance to make the playoffs as a rookie and playing at home in front of my, my fans, you know, just family. Uh, it's no better feeling. Um, but, yeah, you know, we got to go out there and execute and uh, take care of business first. But, yeah, it definitely is a blessing. I
0: might have asked you this before, and I don't recall the answer, so I apologize, Juju. Um, several years ago, I was interviewing Jeff Teague, the Pacer point guard who had played at Pike High School. Similar situation to you. He was a veteran, though, by yep. the time he came back. And in the course of the interview, he admitted that he was living at home with his mom and dad, uh, <laughs> hadn't found a place to live yet. Now, are you Are you still living at home?
6: I got kicked out, man. I was for a little bit. I moved in with my dad during the OTAs and all that. He looked at me and was like, "Bro, I know you saw your contract. Like, you gotta, you gotta go." Okay, so <laughs> so what spot. point
0: in the year was it then when your dad's like, "What are we doing here?" Like, did he have chores for you and stuff like that?
6: Uh, yeah, I just kind of just helped out where I could throughout the house. And then once we got to like camp was coming around, he was like, "So you you moving out? What you doing?" I'm like, right, "Yeah, it's just time to go." <laughs> uh-huh.
0: Okay, fair enough. Um. How is it, though, and and I want to talk to you about this matchup and, in particular, some of the guys that are going to be lining up with you. But before that, uh, I'm curious of this. Now that you've had a chance to go through it for essentially a full season here, regular season, yeah. what is the challenge, Juju, in – I think most people think it'd be a dream to play at home. I understand yeah. the benefit of that. But at the same time, you know, you got guys from high school that, you, you know – that are probably calling you a lot wanting to go out and do this or that you get ticket requests and and I'm not saying any of this is a bad thing but yep. there are a lot of distractions that other guys don't put up with how has it right. been
6: yeah i would just say um it's just like a a race to maturity you know um you got to set those right boundaries um luckily you know i was you know having my my dad and my mother uh just having them in my ear um, just, you know, right from wrong, you know, just making sure that I'm taking care of my business, keeping the main thing the main thing. And, you know, all those people, that are going to be there as they have been along the journey for me. But, uh, you know, this is, you know, my, my job now. And, um, you know, I have to take care of my business. Um, and I love football, so I make sure I keep the main thing the main thing first. Um, and, yes, like the love in the city is great. But, uh, you know, just take care of business and uh, just set the right boundaries.
0: How much of defensive back play? Juju Brentz of the Colts is our guest. How much of, of playing in the defensive backfield, Juju, is about the instinct and the camaraderie of the other corners and, you know, whether it be Kenny and the nickel or the corners or or even the safeties behind you, of kind of knowing and anticipating where everybody is going to be? And as a result of that, has that been difficult, if that's the case, has it been difficult to achieve for you just because of the sporadic nature of which you've been on the field?
6: Yeah, um, I would say early on, you know, I was starting to get comfortable. Um, but I did have the, the little knick-knack injury during camp. Once I got out there, you know, just knowing my guys around me, just trusting, like, I know Kenny's going to be in this hook area right here so I can play it a little bit higher, just trusting my guys, and my instincts. And then once I had, you know, the injury that sidelined me um, for a couple weeks, um, it did allow me just to sit back and, and dive more into, like, the playbook and the mental aspect. Um, but it is different than being out there. Uh, compared to just being on the sideline getting you know, those middle reps. So once I got back, you know, now it's getting back and having that right communication. Um, and just trusting my guys, you know, no trust in me as well. Um, just put it on display. But, uh, yeah, it is a big thing. You know, you got to make sure that everybody is clicking on all cylinders because it's all 11. You know, everybody's position is important. Um, but, yeah, a lot of it just comes to confidence and it's trusting the guys around you. Colts
3: cornerback Juju Brent's with us. You mentioned the injury, also the one in training camp as well, what pushed you through having those two, like you mentioned, out of your control things that could have derailed your rookie year? You didn't let it, and here you are still making impacts through all that.
6: Yeah, just my faith. You know, um, my guy, I mean, my dad always told me at a young age, like, God shown, or he's had a lot of favor on me. He showed me a lot of favor. Um, and you know, like, he didn't bring me as far as it bring me, you know, this far. So just continue to keep my head down, keep working, and uh, just understand that the trials that I was going through were just temporary, you know. Um, you know, everybody goes through them. You know, it's not about if you get hurt, it's when. Um And now I just got to respond to it in the, in the correct manner. So hopefully, you know, I just knock all these injuries out the way early on and uh, we can just keep rolling. But, man, it just allowed me to uh, continue just to get stronger mentally, you know, physically, uh, learning more about my body. And uh, once I'm out there in the field, just let it all loose. Juju, tell me more about
0: your dad. You've mentioned him a couple times here. Clearly he's an inspiration and a, a solid leader for you. Um, Take me through just maybe the point in your life where you realize the example he was setting for you and the things that you think are most important that you have carried on from what he has taught you.
6: Man, so much. Uh my, my dad's my guy. Um it's a lot of different life lessons he taught me. You know, he's a military vet, so you can, you know, just imagine the the little things that he installed in me, like the the discipline. Um just, like, if you start something, make sure you finish it. Um, and just, like, his mentality. Uh, I've seen the way that he worked day in and day out, um, and he never complains. So, um, And one thing he's always told me is just never be seduced by success. You know, so you can – if you live by the cheers, you know, you'll die by the boost. So continue just to keep your head down, you know, have even killed and uh, keep moving forward. So my dad is a big inspiration of in my life, and uh, I definitely won't be here without him. Are there
0: times where – and be honest, Juju Brents – do, have there been times where you've walked into the facility or you've been watching t- film, whatever it might be, and you have to almost remind yourself, like, wait a second. Like, I'm actually – this in Warren Central. Like, I'm in the NFL and I play for the Indianapolis Colts.
6: Yeah, it, I, I would say, like, early on I kind of had that feeling. Uh, once we got to, like, OTAs, because it was just a long, strenuous process, you know, going right through the season, senior bowl, combine, on and on. Then you're not even really trying; – you're just trying to keep up. And then once things kind of got settled in and camp, I think I kind of had that moment during camp. Like, you know, you get the long days, and I just sat back. I'm like, man, I got to appreciate it. Like, it's a lot of people who would wish and love to be in my seat. And, uh, hell, I get to do it in my city. So <laughs> I definitely had one of those moments early on. But now, man, it just we've been clicking, you know, just trying to win. Who in – when you're on the field,
0: which teammate do you feel that you have the most almost like telepathic relationship with? In other words – you just kinda know where they're going to be and you feel a safety or a comfort knowing they're on the field with you and they got your back. That guy that you just feel the most in sync with in terms of what you guys are trying to do is which?
6: Yeah, it's a lot of guys, I would I could definitely say. One in particular, um, is is Kenny Moore, just because like he's like another coach had him out there on the field. Um, he's real instinctual, very smart. And it's like almost after every single play, he gives me like one little nugget to take with me that I can apply, you know, if we maybe see this formation again coming down what 10 plays later or whatnot. Uh, so definitely Kenny, and you know, he just a, he's a playmaker. <laughs> Absolutely. But yeah, uh, real quick, I'm going to grab Pitt for you real quick. Uh, just hang tight.
0: Okay. All right, then. Love that. I believe that'd be Michael Pittman, by the way. I think that's a safe assumption. Mm-hmm. So
6: they're I think they said they're going grab him for me, so we good. We still got some time. My okay. apologies. <laughs> uh,
0: okay, all right, fair enough. <laughs> Juju,
3: hey. did you imagine when you were drafted that you would be such a critical, integral part of this defense so soon? Because we've gone week by week, and I know you had the injuries mixed in there, we touched on that already, but it's clear that your absence has been felt at times this year. Did you realize it would happen this quickly in terms of how reliant they would be on you as a rookie?
6: Yeah, you know, uh, I would say my, my DB coach, Ron Miles, so he just not really put the pressure on me, but just the understanding, like, we brought you in here to come play. You know, I was a high draft pick, and, uh, you know, just putting that type of, I would say, just um, maybe not pressure, but just a understanding, like, it's a sense of urgency to, um, you know, go ahead and click right away. And um, I would say I kind of put that pressure on myself in a sense, just because the ultimate competitor that I am. And uh, just the confidence that I have as a young guy, but I I know that it doesn't matter who it is is you put in front of me, like I'm going to go out there and compete. So, man, I'm just I'm just blessed to be in this position now where I can just help my guys, um, you know, go out there, help us win some games. Yeah, when I'm not out there, just continue to, continue to be uh, present, you know, help the guys who are in, whether it's DJ, uh, JJ, or whoever we put in there, uh, Chris Lamont, you know, continue to give them guys some feedback or advice during the time when I was out. You know, now that I'm back in there, man, just do whatever I can. Juju,
0: if you were to win the Super Bowl, and as a reward for winning the Super Bowl, the football gods come to you and they say, Juju Brintz, you're a Super Bowl champion. You're going to get a ring, you get a parade, you get a bonus, and you get to forever say you're a Super Bowl champion. But we're going to give you a bonus, Juju Brents, And your bonus is you get to pick one school that Warren Central will never again lose to in football. Who do you pick? Could I pick two? <laughs> I, I, I'm going to get – I have a feeling I know which two it is. But, yes, you because thinking? you're a rookie Super Bowl winner, we're going to give you two.
6: Okay. I got to go just because growing up, seeing this game, it was like always ecstatic, and it was like that's the standard. We don't wear purple. Yep. Gotta I ben knew Davis. that was
0: one of them. <laughs> and I, here's the thing. I went to North Central, so I'm with you 100% on, on the Ben <laughs> okay. Davis.
6: Totally. Ben Davis is one. Now, this next one is kind of tough. But I'm gonna I'm gonna say Carmel. I'm I knew you Carmel. were gonna
0: say Carmel. Say see, Carmel. <laughs> and listen, I went to North Central, so I'm with you there because Carmel is our rival, but Ben Davis we could never beat, right? Yeah. <laughs> now no Center Grove though, right? You don't throw Center Grove Center Grove hadn't uh, earned that keep yet, see, right?
6: It was between Carmel and Center Grove. Um, it's a tough one, but I don't know. It was just something about Carmel. Like it was always a great matchup. But man, we it was Look, it was a different mentality when we played Carmel and Ben Davis. In Center sure.
0: Grove, Eric Moore's done a great job. They got a great program, oh, yeah. but yeah. it just it doesn't have the longevity that a Ben Davis or a Carmel does, right? Right, yeah. A lot of credit to those teams. Though. And Ben Davis cheats, too, right? I mean, isn't that the thing? <laughs> like, when I was at North Central, we were all convinced Ben Davis cheated all the time. Then I met Dick Dolehan. I'm like, man, he's the greatest dude ever. <laughs> you know, you run through a wall for him, right? Yeah, um, for sure. Hey, I want to get back real quick to your comment about Kenny Moore, about him being kind of a coach on the field for you guys. Uh, sure. We do know that he practiced today. Um, what is the mentality as a unit when you kind of don't know over the course of a week where guys stand and who you're going to be out there with?
6: Yeah. Um, I mean, you kind of hear it a lot. And it's not really cliche, but people may think it is just like the next minute up mentality. But uh, definitely in the NFL, man, it's, it's a long season. And yeah, sometimes things happen. Guys are going to get banged up. So yeah, you just got to be ready. You never know when, you're, when your number's going to be called. but. I'm definitely – just a shout-out to Chris, man, just the way he came in. It seemed like we didn't really miss a beat, just the energy he brought to us while he was out there. Um, but, you know, having Kenny out there, it is, you know, it's just another vibe. You know, it's great to have him out there just because of the aspect of having the sense of being like another coach. And um, his energy is it's infectious, you know. It's something you can't really duplicate. So both of those guys, we will feel confident with him out there, but it's definitely great to have Kenny back for sure.
0: Did you guys – juju over the course of the year and I, I know that it's your first year in the league so you're p- kind of wide-eyed at first right everything and I'm assuming yeah. that that probably around I'm gonna guess September October things maybe started to slow down a little bit but there have been we in the media admittedly when there's turmoil on a franchise whether it be a player getting suspended whether it be yeah. you know, a contract situation, we make a big deal out of distractions. Do players notice distractions?
6: I would say, in a sense, you kind of can if you're allowed to be a distraction. I would say our organization, our coaches do a great job of not allowing that to happen. So, yes, yeah, like we understand things are going to happen, um, especially as our guys, you know, we care for them, um, but, you no, know, things happen. It's, the situation and whatever it is may get addressed at hand, but, hey, we still got a job to do coming Saturday or Sunday. So, um, now, you know, we, we address it, put it behind us, and then we move forward. And it's, it's kind of that mentality. We don't really dwell on the situation. I know the media it is kinda, of, you know, the thing where they pay more attention to it, but for us, man, we, we understand what our job is at hand so we kinda of just move forward. Who's the guy
0: in your locker room that is the one that is the stabilizing force? The the f the, you know, you talked about your dad and the leader yeah. you know, the leadership your dad has shown you as a kid. That player for you, that teammate for you is who? Aside from Kenny Moore who
6: you'd mentioned. Yeah. Um it is pretty good. Like our locker room, we do have a lot of those type of guys. Uh, one surprisingly that I would say is uh, is quitting. Not because I mean you guys would know that with him just about the person he is and player, but he's an offensive lineman. And um, I just remember like my first time actually meeting quitting and talking to him. Um, very very humble, just down to earth type of individual. Um, he's not very very talkative, but when he does talk, everybody listens. So I would definitely say quitting. Another one I could say is probably like Zaire. Um, Zaire is a little bit more like louder and outgoing, but um, a lot of gems that he installs on this and uh, just the way he goes about his work every single day, man. It's a guy who you uh, model and uh, definitely look up to.
0: Do you guys – I'm curious if this also, Juju Brents. You mentioned Michael Pittman a second ago. When yeah. it comes to receivers and guys you're lining up against, do you ever after the fact sit down with receivers and say, okay, listen – let me tell you where you tipped me on where you were going in that route, or let me tell you, like what—in other words—to prepare them for what they might be ex- tipping their hand to the defense they're going to face on Sunday. Do you guys yep. share insights with one another as to what the person on the other side of the line is looking at?
6: Absolutely, and I feel like you've got to. you have got to—you know—it's um, like a—it's like mental warfare when you out there on the field. Uh, you got to be completely locked in on like every single play, especially being a cornerback. Typically, we play on average about. 65, maybe 70 snaps, and being a corner, it's only going to be about 10 plays where you're really going to have a big impact on the game. So i got to be dialed in every single play because I don't know when the ball will come my way. So if I can steal something pre-snap, if it's a split, the way a guy's feet are aligned or the way he's coming off the line, anything like that, that's a win. So throughout the week, like, yeah, it's big. Just, like, walking through it and talking with our, our scout guys, who um, pretty much give me insight on what they're seeing because they are pretty much helping us. They're studying the people who we're going to be going against all week. So they're giving us some insights, and then vice versa. If it's something that I'm seeing uh, that I could give them a little little nugget or token in order for them to go into the game and be successful, uh, it's all about us just helping each other win. So it definitely is key and big.
3: Colts corner Juju Brents joins us. Juju, when you look at the Houston Texans, when you look at CJ Stroud and this winner go home matchup for both teams, what do you see in the Houston Texans from what they do offensively?
6: Yeah, I mean you obviously see like the the explosive offense. Um they're one of those teams, I think they're number one in the league and not giving the ball away. And we're being like top two for the most of the regular season uh in takeaways. So that's gonna be a challenge for us, you know, try to get some turnovers, uh get the ball out, uh run run reaches and you know, just make some turnovers, picks or whatnot. Um they're very explosive I would say for sure and uh I would say he is a smart quarterback he's a younger guy but uh he does make smart decisions so we have got to challenge him put some pressure on him and uh just try to get the ball out. He's a ball uh, placement
0: specialist Juju so he'll he, yeah.
6: he'll try to go through those tight windows, right? Oh, absolutely yeah. And I would say he, he got a lot of trust in his arm and uh I like that. I love it actually uh so it's going to give us some opportunities to go out there and make some plays on the ball.
0: Would it upset you if you found out your dad just wanted you to move out so he could put the Ben Davis and Carmel flags back up in the house?
6: <laughs> you know what's crazy my dad? does it kind of close to Ben Davis, so I <laughs> would be kind of sick. My sister, going to my younger sister, she goes to Ben Davis, so it hurt my feeling a little bit. But in my wait, room, wait, just wait, keep wait, the wait. Warren up. Your younger sister goes to Ben Davis? Yeah, it kind of hurt me to say it. I know. Yeah. So when Ben Davis
0: plays Warren, she's actually rooting for Ben Davis? uh she's on the color guard team yeah tough oh man
3: there's purple in the family photos. i was gonna say pur- there is man. purple and now man. the
0: truth comes out right
6: <laughs> i know it's tough i gotta get her some black and gold
0: <laughs> it, it is i'll tell you what juju it's so funny growing up here because you have such fun rivalries and then you meet kids from those schools as you, you know as you get older and you're like you laugh about it and you joke about it and you realize you know what they're pretty good dudes over there but it's fun oh, to talk yeah. about for sure for sure uh hey houston texans coming up prime time game Juju, appreciate the time. Certainly have enjoyed watching your maturation uh, both on and off the field over the course of your rookie year here and what's been a solid year for you. And look forward to having you again. But best of luck on Saturday night against the Texans, all right? Absolutely, thank you. I appreciate you guys having me on. All right, Juju Brents, appreciate it very much. Cornerback of the Indianapolis Colts again. uh, So far this year, seven games. Of course, he had that big chunk there in the middle and also did not play against the Houston Texans earlier this year. So his first glimpse on the field of C.J. Stroud. But um, pretty interesting stuff there. Pretty good stuff. And, you know, I love the po- – I knew he was going to say Ben Davis and Carmel. I know. Oh, um, yeah. I think we all did. That was kind of an obvious, right?
3: I, I was with you. I thought Center Grove might pop in there. But, yeah, it's it's too easy for it not to be Ben Davis. And, you know, right?
0: that's how uh, – another another reason that, you know, like for me, you know, having gone to North Central, I mean, things change. Rivalries change. North Central wouldn't be on the radar now. But, like, you know, that – Warren was such – you know, Warren's a great program for a long, long time. I mean, from Jeff George to Kevin Wright coaching them to – you know, the different players that they've had. They've had some really good players over the course of the years. Um, and, you know, he's an interesting case, Juju Brents, because he wasn't one that, you know, there's been so many players, you know, Darren Evans and Jeremy Finch and, um, oh, who was the wide receiver that I'm blanking here that went to Purdue? But, you know, Dexter Taylor, David I think Bell. was David Bell. Well, no, before no, was that, Warren. before oh, that, oh. Um, well, David Bell, obviously goes yes. without saying, but, but they had a quarterback, um, can't believe I'm blanking. They went to Purdue and became a receiver. But at any rate, they've had a lot of great players there. And he isn't one of them that was, like, necessarily in that mix, right, where he was a household name as a high school player. But just his ability to, to you know, go collegiately. And then I just like his athleticism and his size. You know, his size in in particular to me, um, he's just active. Yeah, I mean, it's why they drafted him or
3: they did. And it's why even though there was a little bit of tongue-in-cheek surprise when we got to week Five and looked at this depth chart and realized how important he was going to be. But yeah, you fast forward to now and he's an integral part of what they want to do in this secondary. And yes, there's still a conversation in the off season for what they do moving forward, but there's no doubt they got that one right in terms of what they're going to be building that defense about, at least in terms of their past defense moving forward, regardless of what happens on Saturday. And that's a testament to the rookie
0: season that he's had. By the way, we were talking about Indiana basketball last night. And just to kind of put a bow tie on what we were talking about, because um, Matt Taylor's going to join us in just a couple minutes, right, Eddie? Um, I, I mentioned it much earlier for the opening of the show for probably 20 minutes. i would encourage you to go to the podcast or back to the YouTube page to find that. And just my frustration with, for Indiana, I, you know, I like Mike Woodson. I know Mike Woodson knows basketball. Don't get me wrong. But the things that everyone knew were going to be an issue seemingly were not addressed and they continue to plague Indiana. And like I always say, teams at the end of the year when they get eliminated, the elimination game usually is a microcosm of the season. And this year, the season for Indiana so far, albeit still young, is a microcosm of the things that have plagued them for the last couple of years that seemingly have not been addressed. And I know that Indiana fans Long for and still think of, at least the older generation does, that Indiana is an elite level program that because they're Indiana, players want to go there and play. And because they're Indiana, they're going to get everybody else's best effort. But for the last quarter century, Indiana's won 59% of its games. It has not been an NCAA tournament mainstay. And more often than not, getting embarrassed at the places like Nebraska, who admittedly is a good team this year, but getting embarrassed in places like that or playing absolute goose egg basketball on the road in the Big Ten has become more the norm than the second weekend NCAA tournament runs and at some point Indiana needs to be held accountable of why are you giving raises for to to, to coaches that have yet to necessarily prove because they continue to back themselves into corners and it's frustrating It's frustrating, and I grew up an Indiana fan, and I have a great respect for people down there and for the program and for a lot of different things about it. But for Indiana fans to say that it is still the elite program in the state of Indiana, it has fallen so far behind that, and the elite program to add insult to injury is the one that is your bitter rival that, yes, you beat twice last year, but that was the recency anomaly. And Indiana has a lot of soul-searching to do, and it starts with addressing something they never did before and figuring out how to get good guard play. And it's awfully, awfully tough to just flip that switch and say, now it happens. Yeah, they've got a five-star in Khalil Ware. Yeah, they got a five-star in Malik Renu. Yeah, they got a five-star in McKenzie Mbako. Great. Bottom line is, at this point, it's another year where it looks like they're going to be mid-pack Big Ten into the NCAA tournament maybe win a game, and then sit around and everybody goes around and talks about how great the Watford shot was and gets ready for an off-season of anticipation and hope to have a parade because they landed yet another five-star that's going to be there for a year and move on after a one NCAA tournament game. And I absolutely hope, hope, hope more than life itself that I'm flat-out wrong. Uh, Matt Taylor, by the way, joins us next. Thank you, John. Thank you, Lord. for pointing it out, it was Desmond Tardy, the former Warren wide receiver that went to Purdue, or Warren quarterback that went to Purdue and played wide receiver. That's who I was trying to think of. Had a long, like, 90-yard touchdown run in the state championship game. Uh, joining us now on the program, Matt Taylor is the voice of the Indianapolis Colts, as you heard courtesy of Shelby Materials. This conversation, Matt, let's get right to it. Big, big, big one on Saturday with the Houston Texans. It all comes down to this, and the good news is, you correct me if I'm wrong, looks like, From the health standpoint, things are starting to turn towards the Colts' favor.
7: Yeah, starting to uh, have a good uh, prognosis, if you will. Uh, Shane Steichen met with reporters about, I don't know, half an hour ago or so and didn't rule anybody out. Uh, We'll get a final designation on things uh, coming up in a couple hours in terms of questionable and things like that. But, you know, Quentin Nelson and Ryan Kelly have not been ruled out. They have at least a good shot to play on Saturday night about 48 hours from now. So good news for the Colts, kind of a full deck of cards, if you will, going into a a game where they're going to need everybody to win You know The margin of error is so slim in a game like this, essentially being a playoff game. So good to have a healthy five offensive line potentially trying to run the ball against that Texans front.
3: Matt, it's been well documented this season that, especially on the defensive end, the Colts are at their best and able to do what they want to do schematically when they're getting home with four and when they're winning that battle in the trenches. When you look under a microscope, though, is this not the type of game, and I'm sure he'd say it too because it's one of the things that he's wanted since he's been here, this is not the type of the game, type of game that you acquired DeForest Buckner for.
7: Oh, absolutely. I mean, this is yeah, this is huge to have a player like DeForest Buckner. I mean, he's having just a terrific season that I don't think people really appreciate him. Mean, he's got like seventy-five tackles as a defensive tackle. I mean, it's a mammoth number for the position that he plays. And you're going to have to slow down the run this game, and you're going to have to push the pocket right into CJ Stroud. I mean. It goes without saying, any quarterback's numbers and splits will really decrease pressure versus non-pressure. But C.J. Stroud, even, even at Ohio State, his numbers, his splits when he was pressured versus when he had time to sit and use that elite level accuracy, accuracy that he has, in my opinion, I mean, it's just night and day. So you got to hit him from every angle in this game, and that's where pushing the pocket back into him would be so big from Grover Stewart and DeForest Buckner. I mean, I, I think, honestly, whichever team has a better pass rush in this game is going to go a long way in deciding the winner because you look at Houston they've got 46 sacks the Colts have 49 so you're talking about two pretty elite teams in terms of getting after the quarterback but I just think if the Colts can get after Stroud like they did in that first game make him uncomfortable he's going to give you one he just is because of of his propensity to kind of be a different quarterback when he's got people in his face I mean he's kind of like that guy he's kind of like Gardner Minshew in that sense when he's got Tom Time. and when he's protected and he's quick rhythm and he can use that accuracy he's really really hard to slow down I think it's huge in this game for the Colts to get maybe they don't they don't need to get six sacks but they need to be disruptive and in the face of CJ Stroud consistently throughout the course of this game
0: so let's move to Gardner Minshew Matt Matt Taylor the voice of the Colts our guest in terms of Houston defensively Gardner Minshew needs to be aware of what and Indianapolis tries to game plan how
7: well, they're really good at stopping the run, so obviously the Colts are going to need to be good on first and second down. They can't be in third and six or longer throughout the course of this game. That's not a recipe for success. I mean, Houston's defense is elite now in being able to stop the run, and the good news is the Colts have already run the ball really well on a majority of this front. Now, both teams have changed. Obviously, some things have tweaked and evolved within this Texans defense, um, but kind of the main players are there, if you will, with. Jonathan Grenard and Sheldon Rankins and Will Anderson. So, you know, the Colts did run for a season-high 126 on the Texans. And and by that, I mean the Texans gave up a season-high 126 rushing to the Colts back in Week 2. But other than that, they really haven't had a whole lot of blips on the radar. I mean, I think they're giving up like 88 rushing yards per game, and they've held four straight teams to under 80 yards on the ground, including two of them. Two of those games have been uh, the Titans, where they completely shut down Derrick Henry so I don't think the Colts are going to rush for 150 yards in this game but they've got to be good situationally because they can't put that pressure on Gardner Minshew to continuously make plays on third and long that's just not going to happen
3: Matt Taylor joins us Voice of the Colts brought to you by Shelly Materials the concrete and aggregate experts Tay what is having Zach Moss back due to a running back room that's proven it's able to do it in a number of different ways, whether it's Jonathan Taylor leading the pack or whether it's in spurts from Trey Sermon? Yes, of course, Moss, well-documented this season. What is likely having him back, at least it's trending that way, yeah. Do for them offensively?
7: You know, it's funny. We were actually talking about that today. We, we couldn't pinpoint, maybe you guys can, we couldn't pinpoint the the game in which, or if there has been a game this season where you've had a starting five, all healthy at the same time, out there, you know, as a starting five group, and a healthy Zach Moss and a healthy Jonathan Taylor together. You know, in other words, a a full, healthy, ready-to-go, you know, running game or running attack. I mean, maybe the Tennessee game or, I mean, gosh, I mean, Taylor came off of PUP in week five and that was that Tennessee game, but he wasn't the same player. He was just kind of ramping up then. I mean, uh, Zach Moss was still kind of the the lead back in that situation, but Braden Smith has missed seven games. Ryan Kelly has dealt with concussions. You know, Bernard Ryman's missed two games, so to have a healthy stack deck, if you will, in the running game is going to be so imperative in a game like this because right now, hypothetically, there's no really drop-off at all between Taylor and Moss. Both guys run really hard. I mean, we know what zach moss can do against these texans and you know, this defense he ran for 88 yards in this in the, in the in the game in week two in the first meeting um so to have all five healthy offensive linemen plus your top two backs i can't think of a time where everybody was kind of hidden on all cylinders going into a big game like this
0: matt over the last three games that he's played will mallory and these aren't numbers that necessarily completely jump out at you but he's got 10 catches over the last three games he's played are those simply situational plays where he's been able to take advantage, or is this, in fact, somebody that Shane Steichen is going to start incorporating more down the home stretch and into the postseason as a legitimate regular weapon for Gardner Minshew?
7: Yeah, I think Will Mallory's going to be a mainstay. I really do. I mean, obviously he's a rookie, so he's got three more years here, but I, I think he's going to be a... Key part of this offense, you know. Obviously, the rest of this season for how, however much longer it goes, but I think for next year as well, this guy can stretch the field. He may not be the best blocking tight end, but you need somebody to, you know, get open uh, in the middle of the field and, and stretch the field, uh, you know, down the seam, if you will. That's what Will Mallory can do, and I think he's light years ahead of where he was at the beginning of the season. Um, ironically, his largest catch of the year was a 49-yarder uh, against Houston back in Week. 10 so maybe that's a good omen but i agree with you jake i think he's going to be a heavy part of this offense going forward and you know i think only you know bright skies and, and blue skies i should say ahead for will mallory in terms of his upside and what the colts are trying to do to incorporate him within this offense
0: matt taylor is our guest matt before we let you go uh, i'm curious of this because of the fact that the game is saturday night so that we, and i think we knew that was probably going to get flexed out of at a sunday but Um, And with everything riding on it, just in terms of the scheduling, the approach, maybe the level of contact based on, you know, whatever else, how, if any, have things been different this week than the previous weeks of the regular season?
7: Well, I I don't think they have too much. I I just think, you know, I can only speak for myself. I mean, it's like, you know, you come home from the game against the Raiders and then you watch Sunday night football a little bit. I think whether it was halftime or the end of that game on Sunday night football, when the schedule came out that the game was getting flexed and moved to Saturday, not only a Saturday game but a primetime game, like I think everybody's juices just got, you know, really, really flowing at that point. You know, you kind of know what's what's on the line. You knew then it was going to be a win in your end game. So I think the intensity has really been there all week long, and you know Shane Steichen talked about it today. It's like we, 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 we train and we prepare, and we just give everything we have to this game every single week, but it's human nature to just pour your guts out. Uh, you know, in, in the week of preparation for a game like this, so um, logistically, I don't think they've changed anything in terms of prep, in terms of meeting times and and things like that. But I just think you're getting everybody's you know one thousand percent focus and attention, knowing that the season can be over forty eight hours from
0: now. Game can be heard on Hank FM, right, Eddie? Is that correct? Hank FM, our sister station, ninety seven point one FM. Matt will be on the call. For the Colts and the Texans on Saturday night, and then a rare Sunday off for Matt before hopefully uh, a push towards the postseason. But either way, Matt, always appreciate the insights and enjoy the call on Saturday. I appreciate you guys. Thank you so much. I right, Matt Taylor, the voice of the Indianapolis Colts, joining us on the program. I listen. I probably Will Mallory is the Colts Isaiah Jackson for me. Like I just, I I start to see more, and the more that I see, the more that I see future placement, if you will, Jimmy, in terms of what they can do and what they bring to the table that is a much-needed asset for their respective franchises.
3: I hope so, because I'm not asking much in that regard from a Will Mallory or from whoever's going to take next season the role of tight end by the Horns, because I just want the Colts, and it's part of what Stike was able to do in Philadelphia with Dallas Goddard at times, Zach Ertz in Philadelphia at times as well during that run. That was just a Philadelphia philosophy, right? Might not have been exclusively to Steichen, but I like offenses that have the reliability of a, maybe not a do it all tight end every single down, but clear defined roles for what that position means versus Jack of all trades guys. And it's hard to tell who is clearly the standalone number one tight end. So whether it's Mallory, whoever it is, I'm with you, Jake, I've enjoyed what I've seen. I hope that's what happens next year, but Larger with Matt's conversation. I don't want to say Shane Steichen has a pass necessarily for what happens on Saturday because he has done a fantastic job this year, given everything the Colts have gone through, and it's his first year, so to at least see good foundational pieces is enough for me right now. If they get their doors blown off, then, yeah, we'll have a reaction on Monday. But the more you look at this matchup, even without Anthony Richardson, and that's been the entire season, but the more you look at this matchup for the Colts, it feels like a coin flip level game that you should take care of at home and it's the last chance for this iteration of the colts in terms of personnel because i do believe that they're going to look vastly different in a lot of areas in 2024 than they did this season and this is really their last chance to make an impact and end what has been an era of meh the last couple of years
0: by the way um crafters pizza and draft house in carmel is where jmv is going to be broadcasting today so if you are listening right now still got time to get up there between now and of course six o'clock enjoy a fine pizza and a craft beer with jmv broadcasting in carmel crafters pizza and draft house coming up at three o'clock now eddie i want to go over for everybody one more time uh the schedule in terms of how things work for the different broadcasts because we have a chock full of sporting events taking place this weekend and of course here on the fan we yes try to provide everybody with every broadcast so that would be how in terms of the distribution
4: all right so i will try to do this as best as i can explain it on saturday at 4 30 right here on the fan only we will have the ride to kick off with jmv that is at the bullseye event center so if you are listening today from three to six, J uh, JMV will give away some Bullseye Event Center passes for uh, the tailgate at Bullseye Event Group downtown. That is at four thirty. At five thirty, the Colts pregame huddle with JMV, Bill Brooks, uh, Jeffrey Gorman, Joe Wrights, uh, Casey Vallier will make an appearance. They'll have a couple different interviews. That will both be on the fan and Hank FM until six thirty. That is when. Uh, the Pacers radio network will take over with Mark Boyle, Pat Boylan, Eddie Gill, Eddie White for Pacers pregame against the Celtics. That's at 630 against the Boston Celtics. Meanwhile, on Hank FM, the Colts pregame huddle will continue until 730. Uh, that will have the countdown to kickoff. That features Casey Valier, Lara Overton, Matt Taylor, Rick Venturi. Um, Sandwich between six thirty and seven thirty. At seven o'clock, will be Pacers Celtics right here on the Fan. You will hear the Colts game on Hank FM. Uh, the approximation ending for the Pacers broadcast with the world's greatest post-game show with Eddie White will be around ten thirty, and at that moment, uh, they will pick up on the Fan. Here we will pick up the fifth quarter huddle with Greg Raykstra and Bill Brooks. Uh, probably after a little bit of the second half of the colts texans game. so
0: your pre and post game for the colts will be on the fan your broadcast of the colts game will be on hank fm and the broadcast of the pacers game and their pre and post will all be on the fan correct so there you go yep um but a busy day and a fun day
3: can we outlaw no pass outs is that possible we outlaw no pass outs just have patrons going back and forth between (laughs) (laughs) gambridge and uh, lucas oil wouldn't that
0: be something right (laughs) yeah yeah, I'm gonna. Can I get a quick stamp in my hand? I'm gonna run over and catch a quarter and come back. Right. Just it's a great night in the city. Yeah, just j- jog down Georgia and run back across. Get and your steps in. You're getting, good to go. You complete your steps New Year's in. resolutions right out of the gate. Yeah. Come on now. That actually is a pretty good
3: idea, right? I have but them you, every now and again. Once in a blue moon.
0: Get back on the, back on the horse and get set for the mini. <laughs> it's only going to be 30 degrees and gray outside. Just sprint it from one place <laughs> to the next. Right. Uh, we'll come back, put a tie on all of it, and we'll hand it off to John at Crafters Pizza. And draft house in Carmel will do it all next. The Jay Cook plays of the day. This is me,
1: all right. I'm not a athlete. This is my way. This is how I win.
3: Not a ton of action around the sports world outside of the college basketball ranks and a couple NBA games today, but we do have a couple of plays. For the Milwaukee Bucks as they go to San Antonio to take on the Spurs, I might ride this bet until it hits. We're going over 25 and a half. That's a point down from where it was last night. For Damian Lillard of the Milwaukee Bucks, that did not hit last night. He had 23. That's right around his average. I think he gets over 25 and a half tonight. In that same game, Victor Wibanyama of the Spurs is averaging about four blocks plus steals on the season. So we'll take the over on that. That's at three and a half. Over three and a half steals plus blocks for Victor Romanyama, the San Antonio Spurs tonight. In the nightcap, we'll take the Denver Nuggets on the money line on the road against the Golden State Warriors. Eddie, do you have anything? I do. I have unplay
4: that is in the nightcap of the NBA game tonight. I will be taking Trace Jackson-Davis under 10.5 points. Just not a good matchup. I think it's going to get some foul trouble. Two matchups against Denver so far this season. Trace has struggled in terms of um, defending Jokic, so going under 10.5 points.
0: You know, when I worked at Channel 6... We used to get such a kick out of it in the sports office. We'd do the late show. We'd get done at eleven thirty. We'd be in there, you know, prepping everything for the next day, getting tapes ready, and when you weren't nominating Emmy winners, when we weren't nominating Emmy, making your votes. That's right. Going over to White Castle, and the phone would ring, and we'd pick it up. Sports. Uh, Yeah, do you happen to have the final of the um, Cal State Bakerfield Hawaii (laughs) game? (laughs) What's that? Do you guys know the score of the Cal uh, State-Bakerfield-Hawaii game? This is back before you had the internet and everything else, right? Uh, Yeah, let me look on the wire here. Hang on just a second. Um, Yeah, it looks like 72-65, Hawaii won. Hawaii won by seven? Did that go off as an eight-point or a six-point spread? (laughs) Ed Sorensen would always say, you know, buddy, you should call Gamblers Anonymous. If you're calling your local TV station to find out the Hawaii late-night score, that's not a good sign, right? So, in honor of that... By the
3: way, uh, Luke Littler lost yesterday. No, you were oh, um, The 16-year-old phenom, he fell.
0: Really? Yeah. Just off target, huh?
3: A little off target late. Luke Humphries is too much. Which one
0: did you pick? Uh, Luke the, Littler. I took the 16-year-old. You know why he lost? Why is that? Just not curious enough. Mm. Not curious enough. He didn't ask questions about his opponent. He wasn't a goldfish. Not very uh, experienced. That's right. That's right. Wasn't a goldfish late in that match. Uh, Hawaii and Cal State Bakersfield... I don't know anything about either team, but I'm taking Cal State Bakersfield in that game. That's my my tribute right. to the degenerate, straight up. All right. They're the Roadrunners, man. You can't keep up with them, right, Mimi? Exactly. Um, Last night, Giannis said something pretty funny after the Pacers had beaten the Bucs for the fourth time in five games so far this year. Um, And, you know, you, you think about the Bucks pacers and you think to yourself, you know, Milwaukee fans – You've won a title recently. You've got one of the best you – know, probably two of the top, what, 25 players in the league? Yeah. And Giannis and Dame Lillard and you, know, everything, and, you know, Middleton's a really good player. So you would think that, like, it would be advantage that the Bucks are living rent-free inside the Pacers' head, but not so fast because Giannis actually confessed to the fact that, like, as I mentioned earlier, the movie Singles were – Xavier McDaniel makes a cameo during a key moment in one of the characters in the movie uh, things Pointless. getting a little bit as, as Borat used to say a little bit of the uh, sexy time and then he started thinking about Xavier McDaniel and it turns out that the Pacers actually might do exactly that for Giannis you you have that uh, and you think about it now. when you go back home and you sleep and you wake up you think about it Now when you go
2: back and uh, work out you think about it you know, when you're about to get freaky at night, you think about it. You know, um, but at the end of the day,
0: it's good because now it gives us time to fix things. Talking about, thinking about being 4-1, and one, or 1-4, one I should say, against the Pacers. They've lost 10 games this
3: year. Nearly half of them have been to
0: Indiana. That's kind of like the, uh, the Bulls, the 72-win Bulls that year. Only one team they went 500 against. Your Indiana Pacers. I love Giannis's accent, by the way. Now, that would be, I know that he is of Greek descent, but he grew up in, is he from, Cameron, where did he grow up? Nigeria? Greece. Well, he's Greek, but I believe he grew up in Nigeria, did he not? Oh, uh, maybe. Or is he of Nigerian descent? One or the other. But I'm guessing that his, based on his accent, I'm Greek guessing. slash
3: Nigerian is his yeah. listed
0: national I'm guessing that his native tongue is French. Because I had a friend in college uh, who went to Williams College. Who was also who was from Cameroon, but spoke French, and his accent. My friend Nomo sounds a lot like Giannis there. Yeah,
3: I would agree. We have a one of my in laws is a French national, and yeah, the 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 dialect for yeah. certain, it I, it sounds very similar.
0: But you know. Th- few things are m- were more entertaining or more fun to be honest with you after a title than Giannis driving around Milwaukee <laughs> with the Larry O'Brien trophy in his car and going to Chick-fil-A living the dream and and ordering like a 50 piece and telling people like sending out to people where he was so they could come and see his see the trophy and get some nuggets i mean it was pretty cool right you got a hand it to the guy it was the, pretty
3: cool the, the nugget i will leave today and it's not the positive way so we one should of go out the 50 that he got it probably is is that again I think this Pacers team is way different than what I'm about to reference. I don't think the bucks are as good as what I'm about to reference, but just think back to the height of Pacers heat and how many times the Pacers dominated a regular season series. And then things change in the playoffs. That's all I would say from a cautionary tale standpoint. That said, this feels different in terms of what they're doing schematically against Milwaukee. Right. And, I, and I don't think Milwaukee is what Bosch Wade and James were at the height of their powers.
0: So I would agree with that. I listen Uh, It was a lot of fun last night, but now it gets real for the Pacers because they got Atlanta tomorrow night, then back-to-back with Boston, all of that here, then Washington, which has been kind of a boogaboo because they've already gotten them once, so we'll see what happens. Tomorrow on the program, by the way, we will take our road trip. We will go to Houston, find out what the Texans have in store for the Colts. We will get you set for that game on Saturday night. We'll also do our two-minute drill, and Kevin Bowen will join us. So we got a loaded show again tomorrow. John is up next. Again, if you're in the area near Carmel, Stop by and see him, and have a cold beer and be able to enjoy till 6 o'clock. Thanks so much to Juju Brents for joining us earlier today, Matt Taylor as well, of course, and to Tony East and his wonderful cat, Pepper, who made a cameo on the program. We're back at it at noon tomorrow. Thanks for listening to Query & Company here on 93.5, 107.5, The Fan.